Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm a male. It was my freshman year of college and around the springtime. I enjoyed working out, and after a busy day, it was time to hit the campus gym. Now, to give you a visual of how the campus fitness center is pictured, the main center area has several treadmills, some hamstring sets, and small televisions. This area also has windows for people outside of the gym to peer into as well, and to the right of the treadmill area includes the weight and bench press section, and to the left is the entrance to the gym. Anyways, I was doing my nightly routine and the gym was very empty after I was finished. I decided that it was time to head back to my dorm. Now this is when things started getting creepy. As I left the gym and was going up the steps, I noticed someone across campus. He seemed suspicious, and I heard him say from a distance, What's up? This is a bearded, rugged-looking male, and he had a hood over his head. I said, What's up? Back at the man as well. At first, I didn't think much else. Maybe he wanted to be friendly. I began to walk across the grass to my dorm. However, the man then started heading my way, with his eyes completely locked onto mine. I became unnerved and went back into the fitness center rapidly. Now, fortunately, there is always a fitness worker near the entrance of the gym who sits at a desk and has people sign in before they work out. At the moment, I did not tell them about what had just happened because I felt I was possibly being paranoid. What if this guy just wanted to chat? However, during the time though, I peered outside the window of the treadmill area and saw shoes pacing back and forth. I started to panic and suspected this was the same guys before. After this happened, I then decided to stick around and watch TV in the treadmill area for a good 10-15 to 15 minutes just to ensure the creepy man had given up. It was obvious now that this guy did not have good intentions. The fitness worker at the desk asked me if everything was okay when they noticed I seemed uneasy. I said that someone may be following me. They asked if I needed to walk back to my dorm, and I said that the guy might be gone. However, I was dead wrong. After a good 10 to 15 minutes, it was time. With a deep breath and butterflies in my stomach, I braced myself and left the gym slowly. Stepping outside, it was still and humid. What came next, though, terrified me. As I crept up the gym entrance steps in the dark night, there was a bush rustling. I peeked around the corner slowly and there was the strange man leering at me with an odd expression, only a few feet away now. I was horrified. Without a second thought, I ran back into the gym with my heart in my throat and told the worker that someone was right outside the gym stalking me. Campus security was then called. However, by the time security got there, the man was nowhere to be found. Fortunately, they walked me back to my dorm, but not before I had to file a report about what had happened. Thinking about the situation still unnerves me to this day. I thought the guy wanted to be friendly early on, but clearly he was up to no good.
When I was a sophomore in college in 2010, I attended a college party. A bunch of my friends and I were dancing in one of those awkward friend circles and we noticed this weird guy kind of hanging around the outskirts of the circle. He was Hispanic, about 5'5", and I'd guess in his 30s. Because he looked so old, I didn't think he was a student. He also looked kind of dazed, maybe on something. As we danced and he kind of loitered around us, he touched my butt and a few of the other girls. We were annoyed, but we kind of just shifted away from him and continued dancing. He seemed to leave us alone. Seemed to. About 20 minutes later, I left the party with my friend... As we were walking down the sidewalk, we noticed about 20 to 30 feet behind us, the man was following us. He was walking really slowly, and since he was so much shorter than both of us, I figured there wouldn't be a problem. I was totally wrong. A few minutes later, I heard the slap, slap, slap of rushing footsteps on the sidewalk right behind me. Before I could turn around, he somehow jumped in front of me and landed a hard punch right in the nose. He was about to beat me up more, but my friend wrestled him off of me and after a brief scuffle, he started walking away from us. By the way, I had never seen this guy before and to my knowledge, he had never seen me. To this day, I constantly look over my shoulder and listen for footsteps when walking at night. So I am 25, but I just remember this encounter when I was in college. I went to middle school at a private school where the middle and high school was comprised of only 30 students. One of the assistant coaches from my middle school team was a soft-spoken man that volunteered for many of our school functions. I assume this is due to the fact that he had adopted two sons that attended my school. One was a grade older and one was a couple grades below me. I didn't really remember him at all until I graduated high school and out of the blue, I get a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. I still don't know how he got my number. It turns out to be this man wishing me a happy graduation. I at first thought he was just being friendly, but then he called back insisting on taking me for a steak dinner. I tried to politely decline, but he began texting me and calling me nonstop. This made me really uncomfortable, clearly, and so I sternly requested him to leave me be. A couple of years later, now I'm a sophomore in college, and I received this email. Dear me, I shall try one last time though not to be a bother but to seek a friendship that I can feel we can work and benefit both of us. It seems that most people can pass through our lives and leave a vacant mark, soon to be forgotten or, if thought of, just as a passing blip that does not linger. However then, there are those who leave their mark as if to say, I am somebody of value. I want to make a difference. I am not sure where or how I so tragically messed up in trying to recapture a friendship that I felt important. Not wanting anything more or anything less, but a friendship of value and meaning that would be of importance to two lives. Long ago, as a soccer coach, there was a young man of intrigue on my team. His intelligence shone through his skills on the soccer field and there was something there, something that sparked a thought of value. It was difficult to define, harder still to understand, nonetheless, that young man left a mark that would stay in the portals of my mind. Typically, society does not kindly take to a grown married man taking up a friendship with a young man with a family of his own. Innocent, of course, respectful even more, but still looked at with this inevitable stink eye. 
Maybe one day the paths of this coach and team member will cross again. Most of the friendships that I value in my life have come along in the most unusual way. For instance, the 19-year-old female classmate at mortuary school that just seemed to fit under my wing. I was the one that was not interested in hitting on her, just establishing a friendship that could last for years to come. Or perhaps the 93-year-old lady in the nursing home who was hungry for the company of someone that enjoyed listening to her stories of times gone by. The 74-year-old author from Casey County that immediately gave a feeling of commonality that was uncovered after just a few dinners and glasses of Merlot. A young friend of a son who, lacking a father figure, just wanted respect from a generation that was not willing to give it. I could go on and on. I have found that the old saying that you can't pick your family, however, you can pick your friends, is of tremendous value in my life. Souls are waiting around every corner or in the most bizarre places, but when you encounter them, the rewards are endless. What does this all mean? For you perhaps nothing, or maybe, just maybe, something that is for you to decide. Nature may have already taken its course, but I try not to give up on anything that I consider of value in my life or the lives of others. Best regards, your coach. I responded extremely curtly and notified this man that I forwarded the email to my father, an attorney. I don't like to speculate, but considering the nature of their adoption and the demeanor and behavior of his sons growing up as well as their age proximity to me, I really worry about their upbringing. I never heard from this man since, but my younger sister said one of her male friends has had similar interactions with him. To add to the creepiness, this man is a mortician in my county. I would like to add a bit more context to the story since I would receive multiple voicemails a day of this man telling me things like, I want to take you out to a big steak dinner, anything you want, we can even share some wine at my house before, or I don't know what I'm doing wrong and why you are pushing me away, I think we can truly get along great. I agree at first I thought this man was simply reaching out to me in a friendly manner but the persistence after being nicely turned down is what raised red flags. After starting college, I received a new phone number as well as a new email address. Not for this reason, but because I got my own phone plan and started university with a new email. My second year here, he tracked down both informations again. This is when he sent letters as well as started the calls again. It was only after telling the man that I forwarded his email to my father who happened to be an attorney that he left me alone. A few months later, the county prosecutor contacted me requesting information. When I recalled the story, I did a quick Google search of his email name and found at least two obituaries of 14 and 15-year-old boys that lived in different states from him, where he posts on the online funeral pages expressing condolences. I won't add his exact wording or the sites because I don't want to reveal his identity, but both were identical and went something like this. Parents. May God give you strength. I feel like I have gotten to know your son through the Facebook posts and messages we have shared and have grown to love him and have plenty of respect for him. My heart is aching. I love you. It is speculative, but it sounds as if he doesn't personally know these boys and the similar wording he uses to the letter he sent me further raises red flags. And lastly, I want to reiterate that I barely knew this man. We never had opportunities to be alone and develop some bond that he refers to. He was the assistant coach for our soccer team. I rarely even made it on the field as I was in the sixth grade and it was a middle school team. 
It is not as if he was some teacher I saw every day and I sincerely left an impression on him. I didn't even remember he existed until the calls and emails started. This happened recently to me and I'm still confused and a bit shook about this encounter. In order for you all to get a better visual, I'm going to give some background info. I'm currently finishing my second semester as a sophomore at a community college and since I have three siblings at home, I tend to stay till closing hours, if not after till the security guard tosses me out, to finish my work or study. I usually spend my time at the rotunda, which, for those who don't know what that is, is a round room with two levels. The desks in that area all face the glass outer circle, and if you look up from your work, you can see the other students on the other side of it. It's a large open space that has three ways to leave or enter the area. Also, it's important to note that since I technically stay after hours, I have to come to know where and when the cleaners start and the usual schedules of the security guards, since I make it my business to avoid them as much as possible. Okay, and now the story begins. It was about 10pm and I was working on my humanities essay in the rotunda. It was just me and a few remaining students in that area. The college officially closes at 11 so I was fully emerged and typing away as the remaining time slipped away. After a solid 30 to 45 minutes of writing, I took a break to change my music that I was listening to and looked up to find the rotunda abandoned all but one person. This was no big deal since I was used to being the only person left at one time or another. I looked back to my phone and found the song I was looking for and put my phone back down. I glanced up again and found that the person directly across from me was staring at me. Our eyes met and I quickly looked down dismissing it as that awkward oops, I saw you looking at me moment. A few minutes of typing passed and I couldn't help looking back to see the other person and to my surprise, the guy was still staring at me. He didn't have anything on his table and I couldn't see a backpack from my angle. He was just sitting there, his hands clasped together, covering his mouth as his head was resting on them. This time I held the glance longer, being a bit annoyed that the guy wasn't turning away. Eventually I looked back down as the uncomfortable stare continued. A few more minutes passed and I knew he was still staring. Annoyed, I grabbed my phone and walked off through the bathroom to hide from the guy and text my boyfriend about the weird situation. I know you all must be like, why would you just leave your stuff? Well the bathroom is right next to the rotunda and it's not unusual for me or other students to just dip to the bathroom and be back. Besides, I didn't want to pack all my stuff up just to unpack in a few more minutes. Also, I didn't think anything would get stolen since there are cameras all around. So I finished my business and turned the corner to return to my table when I see him there. He's just standing at my desk, not touching anything, just staring at my open laptop or perhaps my notebook. I'm not sure. In that moment, I thought he was about to steal something, so I sped up and began to approach him, calling out, Hey, uh, can I help you with something? He turned to look at me. It was the first good look I got of him since he was so close. He seemed to be older than me, I'm guessing upper 20s, perhaps 26. He had messy curly hair, a stubbly beard, and just these huge weirdly bulging dark eyes, like imagine pug eyes but on a man. He didn't say anything, just stared at me with a blank expression and then turned around and walked back to his seat. Confused and slightly freaked out, I decided to call my boyfriend and told him about the encounter. 
He suggested moving to another spot and I agreed, constantly having him on the phone to show the guy that I technically wasn't alone. I packed up my stuff and headed down the hallway exit from the rotunda. Being a little paranoid, I turned around to check if he was following me. I didn't see him. I ended my call after assuring my boyfriend I was fine. I forgot to mention that the campus has some buildings that are connected. The rotunda is in the D building and it connects to the next building, which is where I headed to. It was past 11 now and the school was officially closed. When it reaches 11, the doors shut and you can't get in from outside or open some doors from the inside, but it's no big deal as long as you know the path you need to take. I make it to the next study area and put my bag down and start to unpack. I finish my essay rather quickly and forget about the weird guy. It's about 11.30 when I hide my laptop and pull out my math homework. I only had a bit left of it, so I wanted to crank it out before I headed home. Digging through my bag, I realized that I forgot my math textbook in the car, and with a sigh, I got up to go get it. I had parked at the parking garage, which was luckily connected to the next building over, so I wouldn't need to go outside. I leave my stuff, grab my keys, and head down the hall to the next building. It's a straight hallway all the way to the next building, so when you turn backwards, you can see the past building's study room behind you. I stop by the water fountain, and from the corner of my eye, I see him. It's the same guy. He's standing at the entrance of the hallway behind me. I quickly turn around and begin to speed walk forward. I keep telling myself that it's okay, that he is just probably heading to his car. I finally take the turn right after the hallway ends and I enter the next building. I rush up the stairs and take another corridor that leads to the parking garage. I glance over my shoulder and he is closer. Too close. He had to run in order to catch up to me. I'm sure of it. I walk into the parking garage and run to my car. It's parked close so I fling open the back seat and jump in. I don't know what I was thinking and why I wouldn't just jump in the driver's seat. I just wanted to hide. It came to me that I left all my stuff back in the study room and I gave myself a mental slap in the face as I peeked out over my window. He was standing by the entrance. He wasn't looking around or walking towards me or any car. He was just blankly staring into the parking lot. At this point I became angry. I don't know what came over me but I was so over this encounter. Mumbling under my breath, I grabbed the textbook off the back seat and opened the door and stepped out. My car door gave out an echo as I slammed it shut. I saw his glance fall on me. With my mind made up, I headed towards him in the entrance. At first, I was ready to mouth him off, but with every step closer, that sure of courage I had begun to dwindle away. I walked right past him, not saying a word, and he just stared. He didn't say anything. Those huge eyes just followed me around. The moment the door closed behind me, I bolted. I ran faster than I ever have back down the corridor, through the hallway and into the study room where I threw everything into my backpack and then flung the backpack onto my back. I turned to head back through the hallway and there he was, just standing, just looking. Then he finally opened his mouth and said, Hello. I was so utterly confused. We were alone. It was probably 12 at night now. The cleaners were just starting to clean the A building and I knew security was somewhere around the J building, so if the guy pulled anything, no one would be able to help me. Carefully, I took a step forward, ready to go around him while responding with a weak smile. He just stared and stood still for a bit, seemingly wanting to say something. I looked down and made my move to go around him, but he blocked my way. I looked up and said, Excuse me, can I get through? He didn't move. 
Internally freaking out, I tried to nudge past him, but he continued to block my path. Finally, I said, Hey man, what's your problem? He just kept looking at me, not blinking. What's your name? He finally asked. I gave him a fake one and tried to walk past again. He blocked me again. What's your name? He asked again. I just told you. I snapped. What's your real name? He asked, taking a step forward. Screw you, I replied. My fear was over. I had gotten fed up with the anxiety and paranoia this guy had caused me. All I wanted to do was to be left alone. The guy's face turned angry and he suddenly reached out to grab me. He missed as I dodged sideways and yelled, What are you doing, dude? He lunged again, but I dodged and then turned around to run into another building. My heart was pounding as I mentally created a plan to ditch this guy. I was freaking out. I hadn't expected him to react in such a way. I ran through the D building trying to remember how to get to the A building without running into the locked doors. I had to run into the cleaners to at least have other people face the guy with me. They were closer than the police, at least to my knowledge. During the run, he was right behind me, calling out my real name, saying that I must wait for him, that I wasn't being ladylike. He was fast and I could hear his stomps behind me. I knew I wouldn't make it to the A building in time. He would surely catch me before then. I had to lose him somehow. I was running past the rotunda almost in tears when I remembered about the locked doors. After the exit from the rotunda, there was a staircase leading down and then two possible routes. Turning left would bring me to a lecture hall that had doors that didn't lock, but the exit to the outside was locked once the door slammed shut. Turning right would lead me down under the rotunda and then towards the other building but using the lower levels. I flew down the stairs and as I turned left I realized the man had slowed down. He was jogging now behind me but he was laughing. I dove into the lecture room and headed for the exit. I swung the door open and then turned around and ran up the levels of the lecture hall and hid behind one of the desks. The exit door is heavy and slowly closes. As I heard the lecture entrance door open, I could still hear the exit door sliding shut. I heard the guy run past and then the exit door creaked open again and then slowly shut, the click echoing as it finally closed. I sat silent for a few minutes until I finally peeked past the desk. There was no one there. He had run outside, probably thinking I bolted for it. It was there where I finally took a minute to breathe. My hands were shaking as I took out my phone to call the college police. I explained what happened and told them I would wait in the lecture room till they arrived. I walked down the levels and when I reached the ground level, I looked out the exit door and my blood ran cold. He was there. His eyes widened when he saw me and he tried the door handle but it obviously did nothing since it was locked. He kicked the door in anger, gave me one final look and walked off into the darkness. I stayed in that room shaking and jumping at every sound until the police came. I was scolded for staying after hours and the police took down my ID number but when they listened to what had happened to me I think they took pity. One of the officers left to go patrol the area while the other one escorted me to my car. This was a little more than a week ago and I have not been given any updates on whether they caught the guy. I'm still thinking about everything that had happened. How did he know my name? Did he see it on my essay when he was staring at my laptop? Why did he not follow me to my car and not try to attack me there when we were all alone, if that was his plan all along? Was he a student, and if so, why didn't he have anything with him?
However, whoever that guy was, I hope I never see him again. I'm a male, 20 at the time. A couple of years back when I was in college, I was the victim of a long-term stalker. It started out fairly innocuous. On Valentine's Day, I started to receive secret admirer-type text messages from an unknown number. I assumed it was a friend of mine playing a joke as I was in a room with a handful of tech-savvy people at the time. I tried to gauge their reactions and asked if anyone was messing with me. They all denied it, and I believe them. They're pretty bad liars. It was further confirmed that it was none of them when I got a phone call from the number. A voice on the other end said, Is this... They said my name. I replied, yes, who is this? Hoping I could identify the voice. At that point they hung up and resumed texting. At the time a lot of friends lived together and the people who didn't live there and enjoyed pranks weren't really committed or knowledgeable enough to sign up for a fake number texting service. Things started to get weird when the person began asking personal questions, included repeatedly asking, are you doing something tonight? To which I replied, yes, I was working, but they kept insisting that we should meet up. On top of all of this, I was getting various images sent to me from a separate email from attextnow.me. This confirmed it wasn't a real number, and I now had a username to connect to the person. I don't know if that was their intention, but I actually enjoy trying to figure out stuff like this and took it upon myself to expose this person without giving away anything about myself. So, I kept it up texted them back for a while and dug more and more information about the person, compiling it into a profile and eliminating possibilities. Unfortunately, this just encouraged them as they insisted I sent pictures. Take pics. Pics add to the convo. Then they sent a weird one. A white lacy dress hanging in their closet with the accompanying text, My wedding dress for when I marry you. Pick of your reaction. I replied no. Why not? Please? Pics of your surroundings, please, your room, your face, anything more. I said, you gotta tell me who you are, otherwise I'm definitely not sending you any pictures. I'm not telling you who I am until I feel comfortable, they said. You gotta be kidding me. You're the one who's uncomfortable? They continued to pry about where I was going to be that evening and I still refused to give details. Then they dropped where they were going to be, a party on campus that night. I couldn't go regardless, I was working. I should also mention that the texting conversations were all over the place. It was like three different people were all trying to talk to me about different things all at once. Again, I was bombarded with personal questions about past relationships and what kind of girl do I find myself most attracted to. There was also a little bit more back and forth, not too interesting. Then I got another bombshell. They asked if I lived in apartment 68, which I did. I lied. Close, but not quite. Oh, could have sworn. Where do you live? Are you involved with anyone at the moment? I recognized the style of apartment they were in based on the picture from earlier, so I decided to throw a curveball. You live in so-and-so complex, right? What? How do you know? I recognize your door. All the terrible apartments had the same color door frame, which was visible in the edge of the picture they sent. The conversation kind of fizzled out here. I didn't go to that party and didn't get any more texts. Among the pictures they sent me were some screenshots of my Facebook, photos of their bed, a pipe, 
some posters, pretty boring stuff. And that was just February. Fast forward to October, the following school year, I was a senior and incredibly busy. One evening I got a text from an unknown number. Is this? And it listed my full name. So I played dumb. Pretended like I wasn't freaking out that after many months this person was contacting me again and I still hadn't figured out who it was. These questions were instantly more personal and really weirded me out. Don't ruin the fun. Not knowing who I am is part of the mystery. I won't tell you who I am. Not now. Too much to lose. I don't want you to know. Not because I'm being cruel. It's just better if you didn't know. That doesn't make sense, I said. Trust me. You don't want to know. You'll be better off not knowing. Trust me. I said, okay, whatever. Why are you texting me again? Are you mad at me? I just have no one to talk to. Does my personhood really matter? Can we talk about something else? Like what? I'm pretty tired of this by now. I'm trying to work, but I do want to see if I can pick out any more details, so I'm doing the bare minimum to keep this going. Do you celebrate Halloween? I guess I'm boring you. I have a better question. Have you ever been in love? No, I responded. How do you know if you've never experienced it? For a person so extreme, you'd think you'd experienced it before, but I guess it's a matter of perspective. You must be a godly man then. These texts are coming so fast I can't keep up. Was that too harsh? Hmm? I say. What a response. Bye with an explosion and violin emojis. The next day around the same time I get another text. Keep in mind the person is referring to their friend but I honestly believe this friend is made up. I was talking to my friend about you today. Who's your friend? Don't you want to know what we talked about? Yeah, sure. Then like three hours later they replied. We talked about how you seem like the type of person to fall in love easily. You're a sap. Not in a negative way, just an observation like... You're wishing for the one. Haha, I say. All you care about is finding my identity. That would be the most awkward thing ever. Why so eager? Wouldn't you be weirded out? No, probably not. A lie, I responded. We've been in class before. What year? Maybe if you got to know me, you'd figure it out. Okay, uh, tell me about yourself. Hey, why didn't you comment about the observation my friend and I made? Say how you feel. What does that mean? Say how you feel. This makes me uncomfortable. You never ask me any questions. I started messing with them, asking really random questions, and this made them really mad. Me, I asked them, do you like cats? Do you like long walks on the beach? I live by the beach. Which one? A famous one. A lot of people have sex on the beach under the blanket of night. Near a city? How do you like and they stated the state and town I'm from. How do you know where I'm from? The internet is my best friend. Are you nervous? You're just a boy. You are boyish. Let's admit it's nothing bad. It's cute. How old are you? You haven't figured that out already? When's your birthday, the month, and day, please? Tell me now. I just want to know your sign. Virgo. Oh my god, I like Virgos. You're obedient, submissive, like a puppy dog. Isn't that funny? I just laughed. Now I ask you a question. Have you ever been in a relationship before? Why did your relationship fail? I'm not telling you about this. This is annoying. 
Then they sent me a ton of different random photos from Google. My friend asked me to ask you something, but I don't think I will. What? Can we change subjects now? How was your day? Mine was bad, but I don't want to relive it again. It was something I did wrong, so I only have myself to blame. She wanted to ask something intimate, but I'm not going to share, since you don't like talking about that. It's extreme, you're probably not going to answer. I feel sick asking it. Don't have me. I'm just the messenger. I'm embarrassed. You're not going to answer. I could, I responded. Okay, so, we really want to know if you're a virgin or not. Scratch the virgin part. Ever had intercourse is a better phrase. I knew you wouldn't answer. I didn't answer that, and they didn't write anything else. And that was all in October. This is December, the end of the semester. Hey, I respond, who is this? It's me. I can tell you who I am when I leave campus. I'm never going to see you again, but I can tell you who I am. Okay, tell me. When I leave campus, I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to be gone. You're so serious. Hello? I'm leaving next week, so... You're ruining it, though. Now I want to punch you. Sorry, I didn't mean to send that last one. Oops. Then they proceeded to call me multiple times. I denied every call, but they kept coming. I think there were 14 calls that night. Then a text from a new fake number. Oh my god. Sent from freetextnow.com. Please stop texting me, I said. Then there were more calls. I turned my phone off. The following week, I was in the class I TA'd. Students were presenting their final work on the projector, and I had queued multiple tabs on the projection computer. Two different students had work on Google Drive. When the second student logged into their account, they didn't open a private window, so it logged out the first student. I hope that makes sense. I saw this happen, but the first student wasn't in the room, so when she came back, I asked her to re-log in. We were both standing at the projection booth. She was at one end on the computer, and I was messing with the sound system on the other side but happened to turn around and look at the projection screen when she was logging into Google. This hit me like a ton of bricks. The username she logged in with was the same username as the TextNow account that had been sending me photos. I quickly turned away and pretended to be busy with something until she finished opening her work. I thanked her and she left the booth without realizing her mistake. I tried to play it cool but instead I was going crazy for the rest of the class. After almost a year, I knew who it was. She finally slipped up, and honestly, I was much more scared now than I had ever been. This person had a history of being pretty creepy around my friends, and although she had never personally interacted with me outside of class, all my friends had strange experiences. Side note, here are two abbreviated ones to fully illustrate this craziness. My friend Michael was working endlessly on his thesis in the building, he was about 50 hours into a no-sleep work binge and it's like 7am. She walks in and starts working on a computer in the lab. Another guy, Dave, comes in and remarks about Michael. You're still here. Michael responds. I've been working for days, starting to see things out of the corner of my eye. Sometimes I see a tall man in a suit. She immediately turns around and says, You see him too? Michael had no idea what to say and Dave makes a joke about it being the ghost of the building. She doesn't say anything and goes back to work. Another friend, Isaac, also worked late in the building and sometimes would find her waiting outside the front door at around 3am. 
and she would follow him home. Occasionally, she showed up outside his door at night and demanded to be let in. One time, while I was actually at his place, she came to the back door with a peephole and knocked for upwards of 20 minutes. We pretended not to be home and shut all the blinds of the front of the house and went upstairs. There's plenty more to tell about their interactions, including one where she attacked him at a party, but that's delving way into another story. So, the point being, she kind of had a reputation in our friend group and we generally tried to keep our distance. I had always assumed I was immune. Sorry to say there's really no conclusion to the story. Someone advised me to file a complaint with the school and try to get a restraining order or something. I figured if we all talked to someone and explained our experiences, we could at least keep her from showing up at our front door. I made a meeting with a counselor who seemed to really care and offered to look into it. A couple of weeks later emailed me saying, This student is going abroad next semester so we're not going to do anything. I insisted that at least something temporary be put into place, and that although I was graduating at the end of the year, Isaac would be returning for one more year. Michael had graduated the year before me. They didn't do anything, but what did I expect? This school was pretty notorious for not caring about anything. I didn't run into her again. She hasn't texted me, and Isaac ended up taking a year off. So for the time being, that is where the story ends. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus my dad is a police officer and ex-military and my mom is one of those types of people who worries about literally everything. This led to them teaching me how to behave in a variety of potentially dangerous situations, from code words to self-defense. I wish I were kidding, but we've even had a plan for a zombie apocalypse. Literally any potential disaster we've discussed it. Fortunately, I have lived a very safe life and did not have to use their advice very often. I am also an incredibly light sleeper, even a text vibration on my phone wakes me up immediately. During the summer before my third year of college, I was living with a good friend of mine. We can call her E. He was very book smart, but somehow had zero situational awareness, as well as a horrible tendency to be the most annoying person you've ever met in your life after having one drink. At the time of the story, I was 20 and she was already 21. This led to a few nights of me getting angry because she wanted to choose to go to the cooler bars her other friends wanted to go to, but that I couldn't get into with my terrible fake. This particular night we had talked about going out and had even gotten ready together. Then right before we were supposed to leave she switched up and decided she was actually going to meet her other friends at a bar I couldn't go to and oh I'm so sorry sort of excuse. 
I wasn't about to tell her she can't do something, but walked away visibly angry and went to bed early. I woke up at around 3 because I had received a few texts in a row. Knowing it was her, I was extremely tempted to turn over and go back to bed. I decided to quick check and see what she wanted and saw multiple separate texts from E that said things like, Oh my god, wake up. Please wake up. I'm in so much trouble. Please help me. Unfortunately, I've gotten a new phone since this happened and don't have access to the original text. I asked her what was happening and she tells me, with a lot of misspellings because of alcohol, that her friends left her at the bar. They didn't answer when she tried to call them and that while she was standing outside the bar trying to call her friends, two older guys asked if she needed help. She told them that she was trying to get a hold of her friends so she could go home. To this day, I question why she didn't just order an Uber when she realized she was alone, but alcohol, I suppose. These two men point to a car and say it's their Uber, and if she'd like to, they don't mind dropping her off at home. He decides this sounds like a great idea and gets into the car with them. One guy sits up front the driver's seat and one sits in the back with E. This is obviously when things start to go south. E notices that they appear to be going the wrong direction and makes a comment that she lives the other way. No one says anything to her. Now the car has exited onto a major highway that you would take if you wanted to leave our larger city for the neighboring large city approximately 45 minutes away. This is the point where she started texting me for help. I tell her she needs to speak up, but she keeps telling me that she's too afraid to say anything. I tell her to say that she's going to be sick. No Uber driver will want you puking in their car and will pull over so you can get out. This is what my mom had drilled into my head as a kid. If you don't like something someone is doing in a car, tell them you're going to be sick. She refuses because she's too afraid. E finally asks where they are going and they say, Large city. She tells them no I live in the other city and the guys laugh and say, Well, just think of it as a suburb of the other city. Now E has gone into full panic mode. I've already run out of the house and I'm attempting to follow them. I have her sending me her location on the iPhone repeatedly so I can try and catch them. I'm repeatedly telling her to get out of the car and do not get back in. I was flying down the highway but they still had maybe a 20 minute head start. I wanted to call the police because 1. we obviously needed help and 2. I'm driving in excess of 100 miles per hour down the highway and do not want to be pulled over. Unfortunately E can't give me a description of what car she's in. No color, no make, nothing. I don't know how she finally spoke up or what she even said, but she was able to get the Uber driver to stop at a gas station that was, quite literally, the only thing around, like it was an exit to a gas station just to enter back onto the highway. There was nothing else in the area. She was texting me to tell me they're pulling into a gas station, and I tell her to get her butt into a bathroom stall, lock the door, and do not move until I get there, and if she can't do that, to go stand next to the clerk and tell him to call the police because... She doesn't know these men, but I swear to God, E, do not get back into that car. I don't care if they carry you, kicking and screaming, you fight tooth and nail to stay out of the car. But of course, this is E, and she doesn't listen. She instead chooses to hide behind the gas station. At this point, I was just minutes away, and I figured I could get there before they went looking for her. I was a 20-year-old female, average to shorter height and average weight, athletic, but not a hulk by any means so I have no idea what I thought I would be able to do to these two 30-year-old men and their Uber driver. I had also ran out of bed without getting dressed, so I was wearing fleece guitar hero pajama pants and a sports bra. No shoes. 
I pull into the gas station parking lot and their car is the only one there. I got out of my car and marched up to the one standing by the gas station wall and, quite literally, went toe-to-toe with him in my best low, cold, furious anger voice asking him where E was and what he thought he was doing. This grown man couldn't look me in the eyes and didn't bother speaking but rather pointed to the back of the building. I yelled to E to get out here now we were going home. She comes around the building wearing only her bra and jeans and no shirt. I put her in my car and turn around to start yelling at the men but as I turned their Uber was already squeaking tires to get out of the gas station. E and I had a very quiet ride home when I turned into my mother and told her that I wasn't mad at her. She was crying and apologizing to me and she was safe now but the next time she needs to react quickly and speak up for herself because who knows what could have happened. Oh, and she didn't have her shirt on because there was a hill behind the gas station that she fell down and into a bramble patch and her shirt was covered in stickers. This story isn't as outright terrifying as most of the ones I hear, but thinking about what could have happened had I not caught up with them and just how easy it is for them to do this chills me to the bone. This is a little story about a creep. A creep who thought he had all the power in the world. A creep who probably had a horrific childhood, but a creep nonetheless. I first befriended this creep online back in 2011. Facebook, of course. We had mutual friends. Friends I trusted, so I assumed he was a cool guy. Well, that's a terrible assumption to make about strangers, whether they are mutual friends or not, but I was a naive 18-year-old girl. His name was Danny. I thought he was a cool guy at first. He had an awesome taste in music and shared a lot of great songs with me. He was also incredibly inappropriately hilarious. He was full of jokes and bizarre stories and I soon grew to love talking to him. He never asked if I had a boyfriend. I assumed he knew I did. After all, we were Facebook friends now and there were pictures of my boyfriend everywhere and it's not like I kept my relationship status hidden. It was right there for all to see, but I guess he didn't know. One day in October, he decided to tell me how he felt about me. He recited the poem he'd written, comparing me to a beautifully and elegantly handcrafted tapestry. Keep in mind, I'd never even met the guy, and we'd only been talking for about a month or so. I responded with something along the lines of, Wow, I wish my boyfriend said stuff like that. He got so angry, so angry. He asked me about how I could have let him on like this. He asked me how I could do this to him. He told me he had opened his heart to me. He begged and pleaded. Supposedly he cried. I was beyond puzzled. I decided to give him some space and it worked for a few days. But he eventually messaged me again. He may have apologized but I honestly can't remember that exact conversation. I do know that things were turning normal. He became silly and fun again. At this point I had his Skype and he had mine. I would talk to him there sometimes but I never used the camera. I didn't feel comfortable with it. Actually, I hated using the camera with anyone. I told him that when he started to beg me to use it, but he didn't relent. Still, I kept making excuses. Danny wasn't having it. He got more aggressive, and then he got sexual. He told me to Skype naked with him. Time after time, I told him no. Eventually, I blocked him on Skype, but ended up receiving dozens of angry messages on AIM. I don't exactly remember what he said, though I do have screenshots of all of it on an external hard drive somewhere. I remember it being hateful and absolutely insane, 
and there was some stuff about me being a really awful friend as well. Before long, he told me he was a very excellent hacker. He told me he had a whole slew of hacker friends as well. He told me he could change my college grades and make me fail. He told me he would make my life a living hell. I didn't necessarily believe it all, but I did believe he would do something. Despite these negative confrontations, we still had periods of silliness. During these periods, things were normal. I felt safe. To an extent, I tried to keep him happy. I wanted to stay in his good graces because I really did believe he would attempt to tarnish my reputation otherwise. Before long, he started giving me ultimatums. Either you get on Skype with me, or things will get very bad for you. I can tell your boyfriend you're cheating on him. I eventually asked our mutual friends about him. They said he was violent, dangerous, and twisted. Even better, he lived mere minutes from the college we were attending in Reading, Pennsylvania. Every day, I started to get more panicked about going to school. While on campus, I looked around for guys that looked like him, guys with long red hair and beards, and I'd be wary of anyone who even slightly resembled him. At this point, I was honestly convinced he'd just show up and try to find me. I had blocked him on AIM, and I made up a new Skype. I knew this would infuriate him, and it did. I received another batch of messages on Facebook about how I needed to learn to treat people better. I told him I was uncomfortable with what he was asking of me. He responded with something along the lines of, Fine, you've chosen your fate. I blocked him on Facebook. I've had enough of him terrorizing me, but I should have known it wouldn't be the last time I'd hear from him. At the end of November, I received three Facebook messages from someone named Adam Knowing. Whoever he was, he had just joined Facebook a couple of weeks ago and had no other friends or content. The messages read as follows. November 27th, 2011. You've been warned repeatedly, and you are now being served notice. November 29th, 2011. I believe this is your last warning and that you have been informed of your behavioral issues. The situation will change before the start of the next weekend, or action will be taken. November 30th, 2011. So you attend college, right? And your grades are passing. Not for long. You are warned on how to treat him and how you are to act. You've got until this week's end to correct this behavior or life becomes very difficult for you. You should never treat someone who has a life like this the way that you do. To this day, I'm not sure who Adam Knowing was. It could have been Danny, or it could have been one of his low-life hacker friends. Either way, I was terrified at the time. Against my better judgment, I unblocked Danny on Facebook. By now, my boyfriend was aware of the situation and he suggested contacting the police if things got any worse. Maybe I should have, but Danny hadn't officially done anything to me. What could they do? Still, I took screenshots of all of his screen names, saved our chat logs on AIM, took screenshots of all his threatening messages. I saved it all to a folder, just in case I needed evidence. Danny's nonsense continued right through Christmas. Some days he'd be sweet and funny. Others, he was back to being angry and pressuring. I promised him a Skype session to calm him down, but I kept using my schoolwork as an excuse to delay it. Shortly after Christmas, I blocked him again on all accounts. I decided I would deal with whatever repercussions that came with. If I did end up getting hacked, at least I had the evidence right. A couple of weeks went by and nothing happened. Then I received a Facebook message from another account I didn't recognize. I don't remember this one, but I remember the message. After careful consideration, you're being let go. 
you may want to be the respectful thing and thank the one you have wronged. It is thanks to his compassion that you are being forgiven so easily. I blocked the account immediately. In January of 2012, something magical happened. I woke up one morning to the news that Danny had been arrested. The charges? Possession and distribution of underage images. A bunch of his creepy friends had been arrested with him, having been involved as well. In 2013, Danny was indicted. He's looking at up to 60 years, which will make him almost 90 when he gets out. Even if he's released early, he'll be supervised for the rest of his life. I'm currently a 20-year-old gay male living in Iowa. I'm a bigger set guy, but I have always struggled with depression and social phobia. This meant I didn't make friends very easily, and when I did make a friend, I was admittedly pretty clingy about them. By the time I got to college, this had mostly cleared up, but I still had some issues with it. Hopefully this will help explain some of my actions in this story. My first year of college, I decided to go to the opposite end of the state from where I grew up. I wanted to feel independent and thought the distance would help force me to break out of my shell some. I was very wrong. I immediately became even more depressed than I already was, and only took about two weeks of living there to start having thoughts of ending my own life. It didn't help that the guy who I had been talking to and becoming friends with throughout the summer, and was supposed to be living with in the dorms, ended up not going to college, leaving me all alone in my dorm room. This was when I met Josh. Josh was another freshman on my floor, and after a brief conversation, I discovered he was bisexual. I immediately became attached to him, as I had no other friends at the time, and I felt like we had a lot in common. Before you ask, no, we never had sex. He wasn't really my type, and I didn't want to ruin a friendship with it. Anyways, we became friends rather quickly, and about a month into college, Josh asked if I wanted to move into a different dorm room and building with him, as neither of us could afford to have a single room and he said he knew people in this other building that we could hang out with and not feel so secluded. Being a little naive, I agreed, and within a week, we had packed up and moved all of our stuff into a different building. I didn't start having issues with Josh right away, but after a week or two, I started noticing some things that made me uncomfortable. I noticed numerous times that my movies and DVDs had been moved around and sometimes even left out in the room without their cases. I'm really protective of my DVD collection, and I wasn't alright with him using them without asking. I tried to bring this up with him, and he said he would stop, but he never did. I also noticed that I was being sexiled, as it's called many times. Usually about once a week, I would be forced to leave my room for hours on end. Normally, I wouldn't have really cared, as I have no problem sitting in the dorm lounge until he got done, but he always chose to do it fairly late at night, sometimes even after I went to bed. I am not a night person and most of the classes were early in the morning so I got really upset about this and I did bring it up to him. Again, he said he would stop but he never did. There were a couple of other things that I didn't really think much of at the time but now that I am not so sure how innocent they were. For instance, I had to buy underwear about three times in the few months that I was living with him. I didn't think much of it as I knew that college laundry rooms are notorious for having things stolen but looking back, I am not sure if they even got that far. Also, I remember him having a real obsession with horror movies. At first this was great because I am a huge horror fan myself, but he preferred gore films, which 
I preferred the film to have a good story and atmosphere. He used to watch gory horror films like Saw and more all the time, and I vaguely remember waking up one night to see him touching himself while watching the remake of I Spit on Your Grave. At first I wrote it off as him just scratching his leg, but now I'm not too sure. Another issue that I had was that while he would kick me out of the room about once a week so he could hook up, I was never allowed. Every time I asked him, he just complained about having a lot of homework he needed to work on and that he hated doing it anywhere but his room. I tried to ignore it, but he also wouldn't even let me have some alone time to pleasure myself. Whenever I would get started, he would always seem to walk in the room and told me to keep going and he would just ignore me and listen to music, but I don't think he ever did. Like I said, these were little things, but they started to get to me. So before Thanksgiving break, I decided to look for a new roommate. I ended up finding one and had signed all the papers needed for me to switch rooms, but I had to wait until the end of the semester. This wasn't an issue with me and I told Josh about this and he seemed to take things just fine. Thanksgiving break came and went. It was only four days, but it was a much needed escape from college and it was nice to see my family again. When I got back though, I found that my roommate hadn't left campus for break like he said he was going to. I also found that he had taken all of my stuff, even things in the closet and drawers and had thrown them into a giant pile in the middle of the dorm room. It even gone as so far to buy new clothes and put them in my old closet so that I didn't have a room for my own. I complained to him and reminded him that I wasn't moving out for another three weeks, but, but he simply said that he didn't care and that if I was going to leave, that he might as well help me a little bit. This wasn't the last straw, however. I still stayed there for another week, that is, until he pushed me past my limits. My last night in that room, I asked him if I could have the room to myself for a few hours, as I wanted to Skype with my long-distance boyfriend and would prefer if it was in private. He didn't seem upset about it and grabbed some homework in his laptop and left the room. Two hours later at about 10pm I finished my Skype conversation and texted him saying he'd come back to the room anytime he wanted. I stayed up for two more hours browsing the internet but never came back to the room. I didn't think anything of it and simply went to bed. At about 2 or 3 in the morning, I was suddenly woken up by the sound of death metal music blaring so loud in my room that my RA halfway down the hall was woken up by it, followed shortly by a really loud bang as someone slammed my door shut. I got up and shut off the music, finding a CD of Josh's in the CD player, and at first didn't think anything of it, until I saw that he had left a note as well. Next time, don't treat your roommates like crap, or else you won't wake up at all. That was the last I could take. I had done nothing to him that would be considering treating him terribly and I was terrified about the threat he had given me. I called campus security and they came out and took my statement, but since Josh wasn't there and hadn't done anything illegal, they couldn't do anything. The officer just advised that I stay in a friend's room for the night and that I move out of the room as soon as possible. I told my RA and the head of the dorm building the situation and they gave me permission to start moving the next day. I didn't have any other issues with Josh after I left, but my story doesn't end here. About halfway through the next semester, I walked into the main lobby of the dorm building and saw Josh, with all of his stuff next to him, and he was talking to a couple of police officers. Not campus security guards, actual police officers, one of which never took his hand off of his gun the entire time he was around Josh. At first I just laughed and figured he had gotten into some sort of trouble that I thought he deserved, that is until I got brought into the dorm office the next day to talk to a couple of officers. They asked me a couple of questions about Josh, like, why did I stop living with him as a roommate? 
if I knew anything about him having using any kind of illegal substances, and if I ever knew him to be a violent individual. I told him everything I have told all of you, and that when we were living together, he did smoke quite a bit now and then, but I didn't really care as I have no issues with people who smoke. I don't do it myself, mind you, but I also don't believe it should be illegal. Anyways, I asked them why I was being questioned, and what they said made my heart drop into my stomach. Apparently, Josh was into using a lot more than just smoking. He apparently started using cocaine, meth, and even some heroin at some point in his short college life. About a week ago, Josh had apparently used heroin and ended up severely attacking another student in one of his classes. He smashed his face in with a heavy textbook and apparently was able to stab him with a pencil before running out of the class. When we got back to the dorm, he completely trashed the place. He ended up breaking his TV, his gaming systems, DVDs, CDs, even the college chairs, desks, and the windows, all of which belonged to the dorm building and not to him. He also took some more drugs and ended up overdosing, meaning he had to go to the hospital for an entire week until he was better. When he got out, he was banned from the campus and the police were there left to make sure he had gotten off of the premises before midnight or else they were going to arrest him. Luckily, he didn't have a roommate when all of this happened, so no one else but the student from his class ended up getting hurt. Still, part of me wonders what could have happened if I had still been his roommate and had been home during this incident. Would he have attacked me as well? Am I lucky to even be alive right now? I never saw or heard from Josh ever again, and I am beyond glad about this. I have since moved back to my hometown and am going to school there and have yet to have any other major problems like this when it comes to college, but I still wonder what could have happened if I hadn't gotten out of there when I had. I'm not going to lie, I basically went to college to smoke and go to parties. My full intention was to do just enough to get by while partying as much as I could. Unfortunately for me, I only applied to a few schools and was only accepted to one, a small college in the mountains of New Hampshire. It was very small, around 3,500 total undergrads, and I went not knowing anyone. On the first day, as I was skipping the ice-breaking games and other students were giving tours of the campus to their families before leaving, I wandered down to a small path behind the cafeteria toward a small stream I had noticed during the drive-in. I lit up a joint and was just meandering around when... I noticed another dude further down the stream that had cut a straightish path through the trees. He was also smoking a joint, I assumed by the way he was holding it. I made my way over to see if I had just made my first college friend and introduced myself. His name was Nate and he seemed pretty cool and was smoking some really nice herbs so I figured I could get along with him. He stood about 5'5 five five and was a little stubby but I remember noticing that he had a really weird laugh, like a nervous type, and that whenever he laughed it's kind of looked off to the side and glanced back at me from his peripheral vision. Yes, I knew it was weird even back then from the first time I met him, literally the first 30 seconds of introducing myself, but I just thought maybe he was socially awkward, had bad teeth, who knows. I was taught not to judge, and he was otherwise normal. We ended up hanging out fairly frequently, playing video games, drinking, smoking, but other people, especially in my dorm, didn't really seem to take to him. Not that I really felt a strong bond with him, I didn't. It was a very superficial friendship built around drugs and debauchery, but 
I definitely got the sense that my other friends weren't comfortable around him. Then something weird happened that I've managed to successfully forget about until very recently. My heart is pumping out of my chest just typing this. One weekend, my roommate was home for a visit and Nate's roommate was having his girlfriend over, which basically implied in college terms that Nate was staying with me. It seemed automatic. We got trashed and smoked a ton, got pizza and played video games. I was pretty out of it and we were both sitting in our desk chairs in my room passing a bowl back and forth when he handed the bowl to me, leaning toward me in his chair, put his hand over my hand and casually in a low, steady voice said, I'm going to kill you. Okay, so like I said, we were all sorts of messed up but I was definitely freaked out a little. He'd never really been aggressive before, even at his most intoxicated, certainly never said anything like this before. I've never handled confrontation very well, so all I said was, No dude, don't do that bro. And sort of laughed it off and tried to write it off as a drunk, stoned idiot playing too much Mortal Kombat. We had a bunk bed set up in the room since it was pretty small and I was on the top. My roommate was a bigger guy and didn't want to have to climb down to pee in the middle of the night. We had both gone to bed, but my roommate had put on a Christmas lights that we always just kept on, strung along the ceiling. I'm half deaf, I should add, so when I sleep, I tend to roll on my functioning ear to block out sounds or muffle them in the pillow. This also means that I'm a pretty heavy sleeper. Sometime during the night, I woke up, feeling a little nauseous and slowly opened my eyes. Nate was standing on the edge of his mattress, holding onto the side railings of my top bunk and staring directly at my face as I was sleeping. My eyes got wide as I snapped awake and said, What are you doing, dude? Backing up and bumping my head on the wall behind me, then he turned his head and gave me that look from the corner of his eyes, the same smile and laugh that freaked me out the first day I met him. He was still holding the railings, standing on the mattress from the lower bunk. His face was lit in weird splashes of color from the Christmas lights. He took one hand from the railing and put his finger to his mouth while smiling and still looking at me sideways and whispered, before hopping down and leaving the room. It was like 3am and I don't know where he went that night. I never told anyone about that and pretty much did my best to bury it and never think about it again. I avoided Nate for the rest of the year making up excuses when he wanted to chill alone but did end up at the same parties with him a few times. We never talked about that and he never brought it up. I transferred to another school the following year, not because of Nate or anything but just financial reasons, and did manage to forget about that weird incident. And that was 15 years ago. I'm 33 now and recently got a call from my old roommate from the school in New Hampshire who luckily remembered my very repetitive phone number. I made a song out of it that's really easy to remember and have never changed the number. And he says, Man, remember that guy Nate you used to hang out with at the dorms? He killed two of his friends with a hunting knife and a fishing line on a camping trip a year ago. He said he was too messed up to control himself. He was mixing his meds with booze and drugs, and they said he just lost it. The thing that just messes with me is wondering if he told them he was going to do it, and if the last thing they saw was that sideways smile that I saw when I woke up that night.
When I started college, my university gave me a list of writing classes that were required for freshmen. I didn't get my first choice, but I was intrigued when I got placed in a writing class based on human and civil rights. It was a great class and I learned a lot and met Chloe, a girl I now considered my soul sister. My professor didn't seem too odd at first. He kind of had that hippie vibe to him and was very passionate about human and civil rights. He was also head of the political science department at the university. When we first got together, he boasted about how excited he was to have class that consisted of all women. I didn't find it inherently off-putting. I thought it was cool that he was excited, but my friend and I later analyzed a lot of the things he said and did in a different way. As time went on and I got closer to Chloe, her and I would get coffee and discuss the reading material frequently, which eventually branched out to partying and hanging out as well. She used to joke that our professor liked us the most because we were the loudmouths of the class in the sense and that we were always the ones talking during discussions. That combined with him praising our 100% female class were not huge red flags for me at the time. The largest event that kind of bothers me now is the trip up to his cabin in the mountains. He had asked us to accompany him as a class to his cabin almost an hour and a half away from the university in the mountains. We thought it was a bit odd, some of us at least. He brought up food and cooked us a large lunch and it was actually kind of nice to have just a candid conversation with the girls and my professor brought his wife, so it didn't seem that weird. However, he remained kind of touchy with us. Nothing major, just resting hands on our shoulders while talking to us or trying to get by us. I ended the semester and left that university after finals. I realized that my university didn't have the program I wanted, so I transferred my credits and started going to another school. My friend was dismayed, but we still hung out and did our work together, and she even took another class with him. She said she took him on as an academic advisor and worked more closely with him. Again, no immediate red flags from her. That was until she texted me one day asking if I heard the news about him. Since I didn't go there anymore, I was amazingly unaware. Our professor had been forced to resign, and it was in the local news as the university was getting ripped to shreds for handling the situation so poorly. Apparently, there was a convention or event and the school's political science department went. The president was a female, and I guess he had asked her to meet him at his hotel room to discuss the next day's itinerary. When she showed up, he apparently was not fully dressed and invited her into wait while he finished getting ready for dinner. She hesitantly agreed, and as he dressed, he apparently told her that he loved her in the same way he loved his wife and wanted to be with them both because she was his soulmate. I'm not sure if his wife was in on it or what, but... The student immediately reported the incident. Unfortunately, the university offered her a sabbatical, basically asking her to leave the university. Apparently, the professor didn't even deny his behavior in a hearing with university officials. My friend and I got together and suddenly all of his private meetings with her and I, inviting a group of girls to his cabin in the mountains, seemed a bit off-putting. I've always found myself to be a very paranoid person, and as I got older, I tried to shed those thinking habits, but now I wish I'd paid more attention and maybe even been able to intervene and say something before this poor girl was essentially booted out of school in order to help protect its reputation. This happened four years ago. I was a sophomore in college. I typically avoided relationships, mostly because of how busy college kept me and I'm a journalism major. 
so I think you get the point. Aside from that I had healthy relationships with friends and went out occasionally. My roommate, Piper, had this boyfriend she brought over every night and only to, yes, exactly as you would expect. It was boring and I got tired of all the messing around and decided to move out. A month or two later, I moved in with my new roommate, Jenna, and later found out that Piper and her boyfriend had broken up. But it wasn't the average, it's not you, it's me. It was for a bigger reason, and apparently I was involved. Piper texted me at 10pm and said the following, How dare you? Was you really destroying my happiness? I texted her back, What are you talking about? And she proceeded with, My boyfriend said he can't be with me because he had feelings for someone else, and it was you. I was stunned, and then responded with, I don't know him, and you should get over it. All you two did was mess around anyways, and I left it there. When I woke up the next morning, my phone was blown up with text messages. I didn't even bother checking. I just clicked my app so the notifications went away. For the next few weeks, weird events had been occurring. My jewelry was missing, and I even found a smash photo of me and my mom on the ground one night when I got home. After that, I remember going up to Jenna and yelling at her, but she insisted that it wasn't her. The sincerity in her voice told me she wasn't lying. She had nothing to be mad at me for. No one else knew about the little spare key under the plan outside her door but Jenna and I, so someone would have to deliberately look for some sort of way to get through the door. I checked the plant and sure enough the key was missing. I called campus security and the next day they sent two men over to check out everything. They didn't find anything but they said that we should talk to the advisor of our building on getting our locks changed. I really didn't want to go through that and now I regret not doing it but the story must continue. A day or so later, someone knocked at my door, and to my surprise, it was Piper's ex-boyfriend. Hey, Piper's been sending me all types of threats. Can you text her to chill out? She says you two still text. I responded with, I haven't texted her in weeks. She needs to lay off. Sorry, dude. I can't help you. Call CS. No, no you don't get it. The threats are so bad. Can I show you? He asked. I agreed and when he showed me I was disgusted. This girl was sick and since she chose not to report it the only word I could give him was to stay safe. That night I was working on a paper and I kept hearing footsteps in the living room. I got up to go check because it was weird if Jenna were to wake up at 3am and all I could think was she got up to go get food somewhere. I walked out and it was completely dark. I couldn't see anything except my lamp from my room illuminating a little bit of the couch. Jenna, is that you? I waited and then heard a voice say, Yeah, yeah, I have a headache. I'm going to the store. That was not Jenna's voice. I made the brave decision to play along. Hold on, Jenna. Jenna, l let me get you money. I won't turn on the light, okay? I said. The voice silently whispered, Okay. I walked back into my room and looked for some sort of weapon turned off the light and then stood in the door frame. Come here, the light's off so it won't strain your eyes. The person started walking over towards the door frame. The only weapon I had was a very sharp hanger that I had broken off a while back. She still came closer and as I heard her footsteps nearing I remember there was a light switch next to my door and I switched it on. The light flooded into the room fast and to my horror it was Piper's ex-boyfriend. I quickly thrusted my foot at his knee and kneed him in the groin. 
He was on the floor and I yelled out Jenna's name. Jenna rushed in and screamed. I yelled, Call the police or campus security or someone quick! She pulled her phone off the counter and quickly dialed someone up. I noticed in his hand was the key from under the pot. This whole time I figured Piper was doing all the snooping around and that Piper would be the one I would see when I switched the light on. I was wrong. Eventually police came and took him down to the station and took a statement from me. I called the police a few days after the incident but they didn't tell me a word. Jenna's brother works for the police station and she invited him over to get details because he was assigned to work on the case as well as others. He asked me a bunch of questions about what texts I received and all that but the problem was I didn't check them but I showed them and he asked, Did Piper usually write like this? I looked and it was nothing like how Piper's grammar was. After that he told me everything. Accordingly, Piper's ex wasn't the one who broke up with Piper. Piper broke up with him and he was so mad he pushed her down and stole her phone. He apparently always had some weird infatuation with me. Long story short, the sick creep was breaking into my house, pretending to be Piper and sending threats to himself and I in order to receive my sympathy. The most disturbing thing was that there was a rope in his jacket pocket. What he planned to do with it, I don't know, but it's so weird to think about. So after hearing all of that, it was enough to make me decide to file a restraining order. He couldn't be anywhere near me in a hundred mile radius. I moved schools after that and went to a bigger city in Northern California. He was put in jail for a short period of time. Now four years later, I still keep in touch with Jenna. Jenna told me that when he got out, he asked a lot about me to a lot of people and where I went. No one told him because it was a small town and word travels very fast. Apparently, he found a girlfriend and moved away somewhere I don't care to know about. All I know is that I hope that girlfriend is as crazy as he is, or smart enough to leave. Piper and I reconnected when it was my senior year in my new college and we are still friends. It freaks me out to know that he was in the same dorm with me and I had no clue. This happened freshman year of college. I was very excited to move into the dorms and meet my first ever roommate. About a week before school started, the dorms threw a fun little mixer party where everyone gets dressed up and meets their hallmates and dorm RAs. I got ready to go and asked Anne, my dorm roommate, if she wanted to come along. She said that she did not like people and did not want to go. I decided not to bother her and went alone. When I got back about two hours later, Anne was sitting on my bed facing the door. I felt really creeped out. She asked me where I had been for so long, and I had told her I had gone to the mixer. It seemed like she was really angry with me. This was the first time I thought she was weird. Everything just got worse after this first night. She started doing really weird things like skipping her classes so she could wait for me outside of my classes. She would draw pictures of me and leave them on my bed with notes saying they were for me. She's even gone through my phone when I left it unattended. Anne would always stay home, despite me trying to get her to go out and do social things. My brother was a senior that year and attended the same college. He was living in an apartment about a five-minute drive from the dorm and liked to host small parties. I invited Anne to one of his parties, and surprisingly she went. When we got home, she revealed to me that she had stolen a cup from his house as a souvenir to remember the night. I told my RA about this. However, because she said Anne was not doing anything threatening... I could not change rooms. 
One night, I went to a late movie with a guy and my phone was off. When I turned it back on, Anne had called me 20 times and sent me 32 text messages. She was calling my mother and the cops saying that I had gone missing. When I got home, Anne was sitting on my bed waiting for me. I spoke with the university policeman who came to the door and told him I was fine and apologized for the disturbance. Throughout the semester, I started to notice random things, like my hairbrush, random pairs of panties and clothes had gone missing. I decided to look in her drawers and found she had a few pairs of my worn underwear. I went to tell my RA, but she said I could not prove that they were mine and I should not have gone looking in her drawers. I could not prove anything and I had to live with this crazy girl. The whole weirdness of the situation climaxed one night. Anne had left a copy of the Old Testament on my bed. When I opened it, she had tied my hair, collected off my brush into a cross with her hair. I knew it was our hair because my hair is jet black and her hair was a light blonde. Terrified to be in my room, I fled to my brother's house, leaving all my belongings behind. Later that night, I logged into my Facebook account and I had 40 new notifications. Anne had logged into my Facebook from my computer and tagged me in about 30 pictures. Anne had screenshots of arbitrary conversations I had with my friends and posted them on my wall along with a few pictures she had taken of me. I showed these to the RA the next day and she finally said I could change rooms. Fortunately, after the end of the semester, Anne got into an exchange program and moved to France. So thankfully, I never had to see her again on campus. This story takes place when I was 19 or 20 in college on the east coast of the USA. In a particular class, we were given a team assignment and asked to turn to our neighbor next to us to cover the material. This is how I met Jackie. Jackie was 5'5"-ish and of what I presumed to be slender build. I couldn't really tell because she was clad head to toe in a black goth punk inspired dress. She looked vaguely Asian and wore thick white eye makeup which set off the highlights of her dye damaged slightly ratty blonde hair. Still, there was something interesting about her, even if she struck me as odd. To this day, I remember my most potent impression of her was that she seemed dirty, in the unwashed sense. For context, at this point in my life, I was a very slim guy of average style who was largely into geeky things like Starcraft and paintball, and only realizing now, after the fact, how popular I had actually been in high school among the underclass girls I knew through various clubs and sports. I was on the nerdy edge of normal for a college guy. Nothing about me would have made you think that a girl like Jackie would be at all interested in me. But I digress. We set about our work and completed our in-class assignment. It turned out to be the start of a research project which we were to finish together and so we made arrangements to meet that weekend. Everything went great and we completed our work quickly. While we were working we started talking about some common interests namely language and politics and music. You see, I have always been a big, bad religion fan. This, I suppose, piqued her interest because she asked if I'd like to go with her to a gothic industrial show. I had no idea what that even was, but I wanted to find out, so I accepted. How bad could it be? I had no other plans, and I could manage to ignore the musty smell and the fact that she was wearing the same dress she had on three days ago in class. Besides... I was just discovering that girls could actually like me and I wanted to experiment with my new powers. 10pm that night I walked down to her place to meet her. 
She's repaired her eyeshadow, though the hair is still as unkempt as ever. Her eyes are a bit wide and the dress is unchanged. We walked over to the club and I'm starting to feel uneasy. Maybe it has to do with the fact that I'm wearing Levi's, Doc Martens, and a band t-shirt, and everyone else looks like they stepped out of a Marilyn Manson video. Who can really say? Nonetheless, I decide I am going to be open-minded, so we stroll inside to the humming, single-frequency bass beats of what I presume was a great example of gothic industrial. No one is dancing. People are standing around like the zombies in I Am Legend, just kind of rocking back and forth to undefined goth noise, droning like mind-control waves through the air, floor, and walls. Reflexively, I look for Jackie, who had closed her eyes and joined in the strange ritual. Surreal. After the song, she tells me, need to pee bad, and asks me to get beers for us. Mind you, I don't even have ID at this point, but screw it, I stroll over like a boss and demand beers. No questions asked, the bartender hands them over. When I return to Jackie, she has obtained some closed cigarettes which she shares with me. Sign clearly said no smoking, but no one really cared. We dance to another few songs long enough to drain our beers when Jackie declares the show lame and asks me to take her back to her place. I oblige and as we walk back, the subject turns to drugs. So what kind of stuff have you tried? She asks me. Sheepishly, I tell her I haven't done much. She replies with her own list of which could probably fill a drawer at the DEA. Meth, coke, heroin, ketamine, pot to take the edge off, and LSD. If drugs were Pokemon, she'd be Gary Oak. At this point, I'm starting to feel like I'm in over my head. We get back to her place, and it's a complete mess. Cigarette butts all over the floor, filth on every flat surface. Old fast food bags, black thong underwear strewn about, half-empty liquor bottles and Jackie's characteristic smell. Now I was feeling really conflicted. Something, maybe the genetic imprint of the bro code, was telling me to run, but more primal forces were urging me to stay. I stayed. I had to see the train wreck. We sit down on her sticky green shag carpet and start talking again about politics. Jackie was well-read to be as messy as she was, and we had a pretty good talk. She disappears into her bedroom to shed her blouse, returning in a black tank top with her stereotypical skirt, and she held a mirror. What could this be for? Right in front of me, Jackie pours out three lines of coke and snorts two of them like they're Afrin. She offers me the straw. I decline, and so she snorts the other one with the opposite nostril. I could have been astonished except that she had continued our conversation like nothing at all had happened. She was completely lucid. We smoked cigarettes and continued our chat, which eventually turned again to drugs and our drug experiences. At some point, I made up a lie about having tried acid, simply to have a little cred and to keep Jackie going with her storytelling. She asked me what else I'd like to try. By now, we were sharing her bong, and I had been sipping the alcohol she had around. Jackie was completely smoking me out with some of the best stuff I've ever had. Eventually, she realizes my relative inexperience and joyfully offers to let me try anything I want from her stash. From a Ziploc bag and a purple crown royale pouch, she produces stamp-like things which I presume were LSD, several white rocks, three small yellow rocks, diabetes syringes, a vial, which I later learned was ketamine, pot, a rainbow's worth of pills, various and sundry pipes. I didn't know what to do. And with THC skewing my reason, I was having a hard time figuring it out. Jackie, ever unflappable, suggested that we start with ketamine, 
but while you think about it, she begins to tie a shoelace around her arm and starts cooking heroin in a spoon above the scented candle we've been chatting around and after offering me first go, which I decline, injects herself. At this point, all my dare training from elementary school is kicking in and I know I have to leave or probably die. I start to work out my exit strategy, not wanting to hurt Jackie's feelings when I notice her relax against the couch. Oh yeah, that is real good. So anyway, President Bush is not afraid of... It was unbelievable. By now I had a story worked out. I just needed the testicular fortitude to get my legs moving. The weed was outstanding and combined with the alcohol my body was fighting me to stay put. I forced myself to quickly relay my excuse for leaving. Something or other about it already being 2am and having to do a project in the morning. Jackie broke a pink pill in half and swallowed it. She offered me the rest. Feeling rude, I accepted it, but cheeked it and spit it behind the couch when she closed her eyes again. She considered what I'd said for a second and replied, Oh, that's cool. You want to make out? You can just crash here. She moved closer and put her arm around mine, caressing my hand. Fortunately, clarity began to return. My mind pointed out to me that anyone dysfunctional after this many drugs does them regularly, that IV drugs are bad and that I should just get out of there ASAP. I tell her I really need to go and ask if she has water. She points to the kitchen and tells me to help myself. And then she uttered those words that I still vividly remember and possibly will never get out of my mind. I'm probably going to pass out soon, so if you want to bang me, that's fine. That's cool. I'm on the pill. I got my water, but could still barely stand after all of what I smoked. I tell her I'll crash the next day, and after a kiss goodnight and her collapse onto her couch, I leave to stumble the five blocks back to my dorm. I never saw Jackie in class again. I was in my freshman year of college and I was cramming for an art history exam on the social floor of our campus library. Out of nowhere, a guy came to my table and sat across from me. He seemed about 22, rugged black hair, toned olive skin, pretty brown eyes. He flashed me a handsome smile and introduced himself as Cal. Do you like tennis? Now, I wasn't really in the mood to make conversation as I had an exam in 20 minutes that I literally just started studying for, but being the curious, ever-friend-seeking freshman I was, I indulged conversation. I told him I didn't play tennis as he was looking for people to practice with, but I learned Cal was a transfer student and that he was into art comics and foreign films just like me. Honestly, we really hit it off, so we exchanged numbers and I agreed to go over to his apartment later that night to smoke. I had a boyfriend at another college and I wasn't about to go meet a stranger alone so I brought another female friend with me to Cal's apartment. At his place our conversation went on and in hindsight this was probably the first red flag I should have recognized. I really want to start a violence club where we just shoot everyone who commits crimes. The way he said this made both my friend and I think he was joking but there was a weird cold detached tinge to it. Later that night, Cal chucked his lighter, it was closed, at my friend's face in reaction to something she said. My friend was fine, but Cal indirectly made it clear he did not want her in his apartment. 
second major red flag. I told him that wasn't cool and that we had to leave. Cal immediately apologized and walked us out. As we walked back from his apartment, my friend and I agreed that Cal was not what he seemed to me before, charming, studious, and genuine. Weeks go by and Cal kept texting me and messaging me through Facebook. He told me about his broken childhood and how he felt he could open up to me so much. I responded as I felt sorry for him, but I probably shouldn't have. One night I woke up to 22 drunken texts from him about how his life is going to crap, how he thought he loved me, and how 7 out of 7 dentists think I should stop dating my long-distance boyfriend and move on to Cal. Sorry, I thought that was just so outrageous. He set up a lot of creepy hangouts. Hey, do you want to come to the forest with me and help me finish this bottle of vodka? I sent him a stern message I wasn't interested and promptly stopped replying to the rest of his messages. This kept him away for a while, although I saw him a few times on campus, in the library at the same spot I studied in. Soon after, the semester ended and it was summer break. After I blocked him on Facebook and my phone, Cal still sent anonymous texts asking if I wanted to try MDMA with him and yelling at me for bringing my friend that day I hung out at his apartment and at one point threatening to break into my dorm as he claimed he knew where I lived and where I was interning at for the summer. Every time my phone buzzed, my heartbeat would skyrocket. I was so scared to check my phone or leave any social media presence that I deleted all my accounts in hopes that he would stop cyber-stalking me. Later that summer, I got an email from Cal, which creeped me out to my bones. Hey cutie, did you miss me? Do you remember what day it is? Are you going to wish me a happy birthday? It's not like I'm asking you to have your way with me or anything. I reported him shortly after that, but this is what gets me the most. The same semester, one of my good friends told me she met him in one of her classes and that she got a text from him that said, Do you like tennis? So this is guy Steve, I go to college in the UK, with that I get a very creepy vibe from, so much to the point I've decided to share. I first met him near the start of my first year through mutual friends. My mate dated his friend and he struck me as being a bit odd. He wouldn't join in as often with the conversations we had, and when he did, his interjections would usually be distinctly creepy, with a common theme revolving around killing people. So, the year goes on. Steve seems relatively normal, if a bit off-color, but nothing too bad. We're a bunch of idiots anyway, so he hangs around with us. Then one of us held a party to which Steve wasn't invited. Now, this sounds like a bit of a rude move on the party thrower's part, but they didn't know Steve that well and it was only a small get-together, so it's somewhat understandable. I wasn't going because I was busy camping for the whole weekend. It's worth noting that around this time, the mate and his girlfriend started falling out, so we ended up seeing less and less of Steve, and the girlfriend ended up not talking too much with him now as well, so us seeing Steve at lunches and breaks, etc. ended up being severely reduced. It later turned out he would sit on the balcony above where we would usually meet up and spy on us. Anyway, party. I'm not going. Steve isn't going. Steve knows I'm not going, assumes I wasn't invited either. As I'm waiting to go into one of my lessons, Steve sidles up next to me, and we had the following conversation. So, you're not going to this party either? Nope. Shame. Say, 
Want to go to it anyway with some shotguns and kill everyone there? I kid you not. That just happened. I mumbled nope and hurried into my lesson. That's the end of Steve for that year. After I told everyone else he propositioned me to kill them all, we made a point of avoiding him. Year two, electric bungalow. So for the second year at college, they shuffle the buses round a bit. We don't mind. Our bus turns up five minutes later, so the mornings are slightly easier on us. We all live in the same town. The first ride to the college is fine, aside from being inundated with all the New Year's. Way back, big problem. Steve now gets our bus back. Worst problem, Steve is now sitting with us. First I heard him describe just how he'd kill everyone in the bus. I'm a victim and not a gunman, numero dos this time. Then it gets a bit weirder. Let me preface this by saying I'm not a girl, I'm a 160 pound 6 foot male. Apparently he's writing slash fiction of me and my friend. We caught him taking pictures of us sat next to each other the other day, and when we sat specifically where he couldn't see us, I get a text from the other friend sat at the back of the bus simply stating, he's taking pictures of your shoes. Plus, he's apparently going to make a tumbler of us and mix our names together or something. Also drawing. There's drawing of us involved somewhere too. When I asked what sort of drawing, he said it was going to be relationship drawing of some such. I think I can guess it won't be the hand-holding Christian no-sex-till-marriage type. Presumably the photos are for that of the source material. This happened to me in college when I lived with my roommate Michelle. It was our freshman year and our dorm building had four different wings and two were boys and two were girls. Our wing was connected to another by a door down the hall which led to a boy's wing. All floors in each wing were the same sex and boys only had access to the girls' wings through the connecting door, which you had to have a key card for. They were locked at all times and the key cards only worked for that dorm. I had known Michelle for a long time and we loved the girls on our floor. We would all hang out often and during the week and sometimes weekends, whoever would be home would leave their doors open so we could stop in, hang out, whatever. We never had a problem and sometimes guys would take shortcuts to their wing through campus through our floor. No big deal and we got to know the guys who did this often. Most often they all said hey if our doors were open and continued on their way. One day our friend April got quiet when there were about six of us in our room and I noticed. I asked her what was the matter and she said, Dude, did you not see the guy that walked by? I've seen him before. He's creepy and never says anything and just stares at us. We all looked at each other and said no. She shrugged and said if he came by again she would let us know. About an hour later after watching some of a reality show, she hits Michelle in the arm. We all look up and there's a tall guy with longer hair wearing all black walking slowly by. Says nothing and stares at us, but looks away when we all look up. He leaves and we look at each other. We chalk it up to him being lost since we haven't seen him before and resume watching television. I talked to Michelle later though and we agreed to keep a lookout and let the rest of the girls know to do the same just in case. We begin to see this dude on our floor all the time, sometimes multiple times a day. It began to get ridiculous when we would all be changing and getting ready to go out and he would walk by three to four times, doing nothing but staring and walking slower than necessary. Once he walked by six times, and we moved to one room and shut the doors. 
He clearly lived in the building because his keycard worked on the locked door and he would be there daily. We began feeling uncomfortable leaving our doors open, even when there were multiple people home and doing so. We asked the guys we knew across the hall on our floor if he lived there. No, he didn't, and they actually got concerned when we told them what was going on. One of the RAs on one of the guy's floors said if it continued or got weirder to talk to our RA. He offered to try to find out where this dude lived for us. I'd like to say it didn't get weirder, but it did. One day I went to our dorm computer room to print off some notes for a psych class and prep a project I was going to turn in at the end of the week. Creepy Bro sits next to me and starts surfing the net as I'm sitting down to do my thing on the computer. I felt ice cold. Everyone had laptops before tablets were a thing, and it felt odd he had arrived almost at the exact time. I printed my stuff off and left quickly. I headed to my psych class, and as I get to the psych building and walk to my class, I noticed he followed me. I was stressed out the entire class and left from a different exit than the lecture hall. He was still milling around as I left, and hoped to God he didn't see me as I practically ran home. I get back, breathless, and Michelle asks what's wrong. I tell her, and she looks spooked. I go, what? And she shows me her Facebook. Creeper friended her, and his name is listed as Juan, and the photo is him in his underwear. I check mine. Same thing. We knock on a few girls' doors. Six other people also got friended. We said nope to that and practically pounded our RA's door down and said what had been going on. I told her what just happened to me at class. One of the other girls swore he followed her as well. She panicked and said to block him online and said she would take care of that. After that, we never saw him again. We don't know what they did, but he wasn't on our floor the rest of the year and never really found out where he lived in the building. Our RA told us later there wasn't anyone named Juan in the entire building. I'm an 18-year-old female. I've been stalked quite a few times in my life, but thankfully most of the perpetrators were annoying rather than scary. Though these two individuals never got to bloom into full stalkers due to the fact that I moved out of state, they were easily the creepiest individuals I'd ever met. I'd begun attending community college and, in an effort to make friends, joined an anime club. Once a month, we'd scrape together enough money for pizza and soda, reserve a room in the library, and spend the day watching everyone's favorites. Everything was great until the second meeting. We watched Princess Mononoke and Kiki's Delivery Service and some other similar movies. Then Chad put in the last movie of the day. It was an animated softcore smut film. None of us knew what to do. We were all kind of socially awkward. He just sat through our movies quietly and politely. Were we supposed to do the same? We spent the hour and 20 minutes red-faced and casting each other horrified looks while Chad watched it with rapt intention. Finally, it was over and he turned around. What'd you guys think? He asked. He was looking directly at me. That was the first time I noticed that I was the only female in the anime club. Trying to be polite, I made a huge mistake. It was, um, interesting. It was meant to convey his choice was interesting considering that we all brought in Disney movies, but he took it to mean I was fascinated with his creepy interests. From that day on, he showed up everywhere I went on campus. 
The second I entered any sort of common room, there he was with his laptop trying to show me more films just like that, seating himself way, way too close to me as we could both lean into a screen and watch it. Each time I would tell him, I don't really like this show, as politely as I could and move to another table, but he would move right back uncomfortably close to me and assure me that I would get into the story if I just watched. One day he sat down next to me, sans laptop, and I leave a sigh of relief. He pulls out a notebook and shows me a drawing. It looks like a creepy robot uterus. Hoping I'm wrong, I asked what it is. It is a creepy robot uterus. He's writing a book about an AI sex toy that invades lady parts and turns them into ravening fiends willing to do anything for the D. He wants my opinions on his story. I told him it wasn't really my kind of story and tried to move again. He followed and began asking really inappropriate questions in the name of research. Thankfully at this point, Vincent, the boy who brought me into Anime Club, noticed that Chad was following me table by table through the lunchroom as I turned ever redder with embarrassment and came over. Chad fled before he even spoke. Chad was afraid of Vincent. Thank God. Vincent was awesome and always in the lunchroom. I could just hang out near his anti-Chad force field. Vincent played World of Darkness with his friends in the lunchroom and I played all through high school. By proximity, I was eventually asked to join the game. I met with the storyteller, Paul, and gave him my character sheet. He informed me that I could keep whatever stats I had, but I was going to be taking over the role of Jenny, a long-standing NPC. I asked who Jenny was, but was only told I'd get a huge kick out of it. So, I attended, waiting for him to introduce me to the team. They were playing the game in a seedy strip club setting. Everyone looked bored but Paul and a player named Bill who were wrapped up in the ordering of a pen and paper hooker. I didn't know Bill, but he was huge and creepy, with an intense, unblinking stare that was always focused either on Paul or me. I start to get a bad feeling. Then Paul announces Jenny, the hooker, had arrived to service Bill's character. He turns to me and grins lewdly. Bill's searing focus locks onto me. I'm not playing a hooker, I yelled. Paul looked crestfallen. Bill looks enraged. Dude, just let her play the bartender. Vincent sighs when Paul begins pressuring me. Paul eventually relents, sulking. I finished that game and showed up for one more, but Paul insisted on sexualizing my character, and Bill just sat there across from me, both games breathing heavily and glaring. I quit the game. Bill started following me. He never spoke to me, just sat across the room from me, glaring and snorting, with Chad, and they were friends. Of course they were. I had to abandon the cafeteria entirely because while Chad was creepy, I was pretty sure Bill was dangerous and he wasn't afraid of Vincent. Also, it really looked like Chad was encouraging him to do something while they stared at me, whispering. I left the state at the end of the semester but kept in touch with Vincent. About seven years later, I married him. When I brought up all the crazy things that happened back when we met, he told me that actually everyone was afraid of Bill particularly Paul. They tried to disband the game because all Bill wanted to do was rent fake hookers, but he made veiled threats that he might do something insane if they stopped playing with him. To this day, I think Paul was offering me to Bill the same way you offer the crazy guy at the office a Snickers, just in the off chance that if he does do something drastic, he won't do it to you.
This happened around October, November 2015, at which point I was still just 15 years old. A few weeks prior to the incident is when I actually met this guy. He was 18 at the time, the friend of a friend. He introduced himself and gave me some cookies. Our mutual friend there, so no red flags right now, when he randomly hugs me. I awkwardly hug back. I usually like hugs, but I just met this guy, so I was a bit cautious. Then he decides that he has to go, so we say goodbye and off he goes. A couple of hours later, I get a Facebook request. Guess who? I accept, thinking it's pretty normal, and he messages me straight away. We start talking, all the mundane things, when he asks me if we can hang out and get to know each other better. I say sure, but don't agree to a date just yet. He proceeds to nag me for the next couple of weeks till I agree that we'll meet up that weekend. So we meet up, hang out for a bit. It's just us and seems to be going pretty normal, if a little awkward. He keeps insisting on hugging me and might I add that even at this age I have quite large breasts so you can easily feel them if you hug me tightly, which he kept doing. Remember, I'm 15 at the time, so I was kind of annoyed. The first real red flag is when we're sitting outside a shop. I've just connected to the Wi-Fi to try to find someone to come and save me from this super awkward encounter. Bear in mind at this time we're in the middle of town center on a bench in a crowded shopping center and instead of sitting just next to me-ish like a normal person, I'm trying to message my, this is going to be a bit confusing, ex who cheated on me because I was considering getting back with, which I unfortunately did after this, and this creep will call him Alec, keeps leaning right over me. The shop we happen to be sitting right outside of is where my mom used to work, so I'm desperately trying to get her or a coworker to notice how uncomfortable I am. I'm not good with closeness. Also, a couple of months ago, one of said coworkers said he did see, but thought it was kind of funny. Alec is practically sitting on my lap trying to talk to me when I message my ex, who will call Ellis, desperately to come meet me. And as he messages, saying he's on his way, I try to get Alec to screw off. I turn to him and say, Hey, um, Alec, I feel bad for asking this, but I'm kind of thirsty. Could you get me a drink from Sainsbury? Which was just up the road. This is the second red flag. After I ask this, he gets real close to my face and says, I'll get you a drink if you kiss me. What? I pale and say, Actually, do you know what? I'm fine. Really, but thanks. And move away slightly, spotting Ellis and the others and running over. Alec following. Alec strikes up a conversation with a girl, we'll call her Sarah, and her boyfriend, Louie, about something. I take Ellis to the side and explain what's happening, and he looks angry, so he grabs my hand for the rest of the day. Alec invites himself along to hang with us, and so we do. Also, just to say, this happened over the course of two hours in total, so the four of us go a little ways away to chill when Alec announces he has to go and leans in real close to me while giving me another nasty tight hug and says, I think it's better if we have short sessions of hanging out together. It will make you fancy me more. Oh my god, I think to myself. He leaves and Sarah and Louie tease me about it until Alice explains what I said. While I huddle close to his side and they immediately apologize, I block Alec that night and refuse to speak to him since. Unfortunately, the college I now go to, he still goes to, so I have to see him around, but thankfully he ignores me and I him. I guess you could say I've learnt my lesson about hanging out with people I don't really know. Since this occurred, I no longer talk to Ellis, Alec, Sarah, or Louie, who is currently in prison for 
doing terrible things to Sarah. I'm not very good at choosing good friends. And thankfully, I'm in a new, very happy and healthy relationship with my current boyfriend. The college I went to years ago felt like a safe haven. I'd grown up in a place where I'd lock my bedroom door at night, but not the front door. I feared what was already in my house more than any stranger. College was different. Only women lived in my dorms there, and we all looked out for each other. We all knew what it was like to be creeped out or scared or worried for our safety, for one reason or another, so it felt safe. The dormitory I lived in was an old building built in the 1910s. You had a keycard to get into the dorm, and the windows weren't easily jimmied on the first floor. I don't remember there being any security cameras, but I don't doubt that there were. If you had a guess, you had to stay with him or her at all times, even for a bathroom trip. Nobody was allowed to leave guests in their room. That was important for everybody's safety, and most people followed it. Brandy was nice, if not eccentric, a woman who lived down the hall from me. She was an older woman going back to college and had some life experience under her belt. Me being the ignorant freshman tried to be friends with her. It didn't take long for me to realize how eccentric she really was. For one thing, she believed she could commune with the dead. Being partially Native American, Brandy believed that gave her powers to talk to the other side. She'd bring up people's dead relatives at lunch or during class and give vague, awkward statements that she supposedly heard the people say painful, weird, and really creepy after several months of it. I started to move away from her as a friend and would see her around the halls. Sometimes she'd just stand in her doorway and stare at people as they walked by, her face expressionless. Over time, she seemed to have descended into madness. She started screaming up and down the halls about being watched at night. The RA got really angry, but Brandy claimed she was sleepwalking and apologized. She did this four times a month. Another night, she knocked on everyone's door and jimmied the doorknobs to make sure they were safe. Brandy tried walking in on my friend Alice while she had her girlfriend over. Alice refused and tried closing the door, but Brandy stopped it with her hand. She whispered to Alice how wrong it was for her to be gay and that she was going to hell. Alice tried to write it off, but it was beginning to look like Brandy had serious mental problems. Brandy was unhinged. She'd taken a staying in her room and hadn't gotten to class in weeks. Whenever we'd see her, she was hoarding food in the lunch halls or staring angrily at people from her doorway. Sometimes, she'd go to the bathrooms whispering to herself and scratching her elbows furiously. She would even draw blood. The last thing I remember of her was when people had gone to sleep, I was taking a shower. I walked out of my room to her sitting outside her room, scratching at the door and meowing. When I walked by, she stopped cocked her head towards me and screeched like a cat in heat, and she quickly opened and shut the door, locking it behind her. By mid-fall, the college kicked her out. She hadn't paid any of her bills or applied for loans. She wasn't going to class, and her behavior had a lot of complaints from a lot of women. When the whole ordeal happened, I was in class, but I came back for dinner and my whole floor was shut down. Police cars were parked in front of the dorm, and there were a lot of students milling about in the main room. Claire, our RA, told us that it'd be a couple of hours until we were allowed back in our rooms. Apparently, Brandy had been housing a homeless man in her own room. The man had been there for months. According to Claire, 
who was willing to answer all questions she could while we waited to go back to our rooms. She claimed that he was her brother, since Claire had seen him a couple of times. That's why I didn't raise any suspicion. When the administration told Claire to inform Brandy that she was kicked out, she saw the man hiding in the closet. Claire didn't say anything, she only saw a shadow and pretended like nothing was wrong. But she called the cops immediately, something was off. When the campus police came they immediately arrested him. He was a several time convicted predator. He had a warrant out for his arrest in other states and had been keeping a bloody knife, rope and duct tape in Brandy's closet for safekeeping. Bernie knew about this but believed him to be the son of God and let him do as he pleased. At any rate, he could have gone into someone's room if they didn't lock the door at night. I still shiver when I think about it. And I haven't seen Brandy since. I heard she was put into a mental hospital in another state, but who knows. I hope she gets the help she really needs and that the homeless guy gets put away for good. From 2011 to 2012, I lived and taught English in China. It was my second time going, the first time I went to study there, and I ended up working for a teaching company that sourced teachers out to lots of different schools and universities. Now just to clarify, my first visit to China was to learn Chinese, so while I was pretty rusty at the time this occurred, I still understood it well enough to eavesdrop and know when something wasn't right. I had just started teaching at a university in Shangchung along with my friend who was also a teacher, also to clarify we're both female. My memory's a little fuzzy, but when I got there, naturally a lot of students would stare at me. Many of them would come up and say hi and then just run off. This was pretty normal and I didn't mind it. But after my friend showed me the cafeteria so we could get some breakfast, two students, both majoring in English I believe, approached us. My friend had whispered to me before that they were a little weird and liked to talk to all of the English teachers. So they sat with us while we had breakfast, uninvited of course, and were just asking us questions about where we were from, if we liked China, if we spoke Chinese. The teaching company didn't like to tell us anyone that we spoke Chinese inside of any school we taught in, so we both said no, and just general personal questions. They were already a little creepy and one was making very strange comments about politics and even warfare, so I just ate and nodded at them. So after a little bit, they started chatting among themselves in Chinese, and this is when I realized how creepy they were. They were discussing us, about trying to find out where we lived, and if we lived together, and if we had a roommate, and also discussing possible ways to get into our apartment. I vaguely understood something along the lines of them waiting until we were all home, and just knocking on the door and pushing their way in. At that point, me and my friend are just speed-eating and trying to get away from these two guys. They were both taller than us and could obviously overpower us. My friend is 5'2 and I'm 5'5 and they were approximately 5'11 and 6 foot tall. After it was time for classes to start, they left to their own classes and we left. Thankfully, after the first meeting with them, me and my friend were able to avoid them for the rest of the semester and I didn't return to teach there after that. I heard later that with the previous English teacher, who was male, they were very vulgar and sexual in the same way they spoke to him, and many people, other students included, really disliked them.
Two years ago, my life was completely different. I was in a sorority. I had lots of friends. I was outgoing. That was until the night of our Halloween grab-a-date. For those who have never been in the Greek system, it's a party where you invite only one person as a date. I had recently met a gorgeous guy who was on my college's football team. I invited him, and he said yes, but that his friend from out of town had to go too. I convinced a naive freshman to take him. On the afternoon of the day, there was a football game, so unlike the majority of girls and their dates, I had to wait for my date instead of drinking. The game ended with just enough time to take a shot of vodka with my date and the two guys before we had to rush to the bus to meet the freshman and go to the boat where the party would be held. I ended up finding my date and his friend rather creepy while on the boat and ignored him for most of the night and danced with my friends. Unfortunately, my keys were at his apartment, so after we got off the boat and back to the Greek system, I had to return to his place. This is when things went wrong. I quickly went to his place and grabbed my keys, but by the time I found them, he poured a shot for each of us. It was just me, his friend, and himself. I at first declined, but they insisted I take it before I leave. I don't remember anything after that shot. The grab-a-date was on October 30th. Halloween morning, I woke up to a strange beeping. I was extremely confused and had no idea where I was, but I was terrified. I felt too weak to move and after a few minutes realized the beeping was coming from the machine I was attached to. Even then I didn't realize where I was, I just started yelling. After what seemed an eternity, a grumpy nurse walked in. I asked her for a phone which she gave me and left. In my confusion, I couldn't figure out the phone so I had to yell for her to come back. Eventually, it was figured out and I called my dad. This was the scariest Halloween for my dad, waking up early from an unknown caller that ended up being his daughter two hours away in the ER. After that phone call, I fell asleep and woke up to my dad in the room crying. It turned out that I had stopped breathing a few times that night. The first time was within a half an hour of taking that shot. I later found out that rather than calling for help... He left my body on the steps of my sorority where, thankfully, another girl was coming home while he was walking away. She was the one who called the ambulance. Unfortunately, I did not get tested. In my confusion, I refused to be drug tested that morning and kept insisting that I wanted to go home. Too weak to walk, I had to be wheelchaired out then carried to my dad's car. My dad's partner works in the ER and said that it sounded like I had an allergic reaction to roofies. One of my mom's friends from a hospital suggested that as well, but by the time I wanted to be checked, the hospital said it would have been out of my system by then. Later that day, I looked through my cell phone and found I had texted a few of my friends for help, that I was creeped out and that I was scared. I had also received a text from him saying he wanted to go to the bathroom and hook up. I decided to reply to his text and ask him what happened, that I had woken up in the hospital. He replied, That sucks. If this ordeal wasn't enough after a few days when I returned to school and a sorority rumor had started that I had alcohol poisoning, when I tried claiming that wasn't what happened, people told me I was just too embarrassed to admit it. I wasn't even sent to standards, which is sorority court when you get punished, and I was told I wasn't allowed to go to another grab-a-date that quarter. Very few girls even asked if I was okay. I wasn't. I met this girl in college, Shelly. We never really met eye to eye at all, but we tried to keep it civil during classes. 
She came to college with a couple of friends, Kim and Leah. Me and Kim started dating shortly after starting college, and that's when things began getting weird. Shelly immediately tried to break me and Kim apart, but the usual rumors and false accusations, including that I was only dating her to get in bed with her, which wasn't the case at all. Me and Kim, along with the rest of our classmates, decided to keep her at an arm's length. Even our tutors noted her behavior and brought her aside to tell her to stop. Even if me and Kim tried to complain to her directly, she would beg us to stop bullying her because she was epileptic and had learning difficulties. Obviously her defense mechanism to get people away from her that she didn't like. And that's when things started to get strange. During our course, we were allowed to take an extracurricular activity. I chose photography and media editing, while Shelley and a few other female classmates took a childcare course. It was during this point that I started to notice something strange. On a regular basis, I would see Shelley in town with friends. Now, these friends were mainly those with quite obvious learning difficulties. I knew a couple of them from college, but the people they were all associating with were clearly very young. I found out from Kim that during the last year of their secondary school education, Shelley took a childcare course there as well as doing some babysitting in her spare time to earn some money. At first, I didn't think much of it. She's obviously spent a lot of times with young kids and teens, and it must have been normal for her. It didn't seem that odd at the time, but there was always this feeling in the back of my mind saying, there's something not right about this. I quickly dismissed it, and after a while I forgot about it entirely. Up until I got back in contact with some old school friends, my one friend, who I will name V, told me that Shelley was quite abusive and had a habit of being mean to people, especially young children. Knowing what she was like from college, I just wrote this off with her just being mean. Yet, even after several years following us all leaving college, I would still see her hanging around town with very young people. After a while, Shelley got in a relationship with a fat idiot named Jay. Me and Jay have never spoken person, but I found that he had threatened V's partner during a confrontation in a local cafe. One time, I witnessed Jay yelling at Shelly in the middle of town, telling her she was stupid and an idiot. Now at this point, all my hatred for Shelly quickly disappeared and I felt like slugging Jay in the head for treating Shelly so badly, especially as she was obviously pregnant at the time. A couple of incidences followed, including Shelly tripping over a pothole while heavily pregnant, I know it made quite the stir in the local papers, and within days, the pothole was filled in by the local council. A year or so later, I got news that was both a mix of surprising and unsurprising. I heard a rumor in town that Shelley got arrested for child abuse. At first, I just laughed it off and thought it was just a harmless rumor from people who see her in town hanging around with young kids. Then six months ago, she turned up in the paper again. The report said that she denied 11 charges of assaulting two young girls. Reading that hit me like a brick. Everything made sense to me. The babysitting, childcare course, hanging around with young kids just fit perfectly. I got the date of the impending court case and made a note of it. Several months later the court case started and I followed it intently on a website that shows the outline of court cases. Me, V, and her partner all met up during the court case and discussed what happened. V and her partner both thought she would be found guilty, while I gave her the benefit of the doubt, innocent until proven guilty and all that kind of stuff. During the week, it became obvious that it was a serious crime. In the end, there were seven witnesses that gave evidence against Shelley. The guilty verdict was read out, and according to newspaper reports, 
Shelley started crying as soon as the verdict was unveiled. In the reports, I read a sickening part of the case that shook me to the core. Shelley committed the crimes while asking the girls to play a new game called Under the Bridge. After reading that, I felt physically ill. According to court transcripts, Shelley had such a severe learning difficulty that she couldn't even defend herself during the court case and left all the work to her lawyer. She was obviously playing the I'm disabled, don't bully me card again. She was due to be sentenced a few weeks ago, but apparently it's been postponed for psychiatric reports. I just hope the doctors are investigating her and can see through her nonsense. The worst thing that came from this is that Shelley's child is still in her care, by all accounts. I'm still shaken up. This just happened to my friend and I this afternoon. Usually stories like this take place in a dark alley or in the creepy setting of some deserted place, but no, not this time. I don't even feel safe anymore. I just moved to college. I'm eight hours away from home. I'm sitting in my dorm, still shaking. I want to cry. For God's sakes, I've only been on campus for five days. Today, my friend Aaron and I had some downtime, so we decided that we would explore the campus and find all of our classes for the coming Monday. This is our official first day of classes, so we knew where they were. It was around 7pm, but not dark. The sun was getting low in the sky, but it was a nice evening. People were out walking, construction guys were still working, because it was so cool, which is really unusual for an August day in the rural American South. Aaron and I go to map out his schedule. He's a computer science engineering major, so we had to go to this huge chemistry building to find his chem lecture hall. The first building we went to was a failed attempt. It was the wrong place. We walked across the street to another building, which opened up into this huge auditorium-looking place. It was dead inside, probably because it was 7pm during the summer, but it was still unlocked to us. It was eerily silent inside, almost too quiet. Aaron and I walked around looking for someone to help us find his chemistry class. There was a guy in a janitor's uniform sitting near the rear exit of the place. When he saw us come in, he sort of stiffened. He sat bolt right up, eyes wide, and came toward us with rigid movements. I looked at Aaron, freaking out a little bit, but he was oblivious. He proceeded to ask the guy if he knew where the appropriate building was, and the janitor guy told him, with his eyes still wide as saucers. He talked in a thick accent that made it hard for me to understand him. As he told Aaron where the building was, I saw the door behind the janitor slowly creep open. It made no sound, but I saw another guy in a janitor uniform standing in a crowded utility closet. I almost crapped myself. I still don't know why he was in there, but... Aaron saw him and that was enough for him. We quickly thanked the guy and left. We followed the man's instructions because they were leading us in the right direction. We saw the huge chemistry building, took a left, expecting to go to the entrance, but we were instead directed into a shady looking back lot that seemed to be very much out of the way. That's when I hear a heavy voice about 50 yards to my left. You lost? A third guy in a janitor's uniform is leaning against a dumpster and is smoking calmly. I suddenly realize we are cut off from civilization. Then I hear the footsteps, heavy and quick, coming down the walkway. I pulled Aaron with me and we scrambled for anywhere we could find. We ran to the doors and pulled on each of them. They were all locked. 
I was frantic. Finally, we climbed a flight of stairs and found an open entrance to the basement of some unnamed building. From there, we called campus security, told them about the janitors, and we were horrified to find out that, of course, there were no janitors. The building was closed all summer due to some damage sustained the previous year. It had been empty for a long time. I used to think stuff like this didn't happen. I mean, yeah, but it was broad daylight. We were minding our own business. These weirdos sent us there to, I guess, rob us? Harm us? I don't know. I just want to go home now. I don't feel safe here anymore. And I'm only a freshman. To give a basic summary, the events of the story occurred between September 2014 and June 2015. So, the story starts in early September of that year, 2014. I had just started a new course at college. I had been there for about two weeks. At this point, I was in a relationship with a girl named Katie, but things were quite rough between us and our relationship was on the rocks. I didn't stay in college. Instead, I took a bus provided by the college from my hometown. The bus journey was about an hour long, but I had a relatively large group of friends on the bus, so it wasn't too bad. I would get the bus there and the bus back. On with the story. My second or third week in college, I was chilling at the bus stop with my friend group waiting for the bus to arrive at the end of the day to take us home. I glanced over and saw a guy shouting at a girl just outside the bus stop. I didn't know either of them, but I recognized the girl as someone who gets on my bus. The next moment I saw the guy punch the girl in the face. Now I'm a bit of a white knight with this kind of thing and I immediately got up and approached the guy. I told him he was out of order and he started squaring up to me and pushed me back. I told him to calm down. He swung for me and being an MMA fighter I immediately blocked, countered and restrained him. I threw him to the floor. He got up and attempted to attack me again so I just decided to plant a few jabs in his face. He eventually gave it up and walked away. The girl thanked me and told me her name was Maisie. Our bus driver is a double-decker. Most people sit at the bottom, but me and my friends sit at the top deck where it's just us and Chavs at the back. There tends to be less people on the top deck, so we each get a seat to ourselves. The seats are arranged in sets of three and we all tend to lie across them, so naturally we don't like people sitting next to us. Maisie ends up sitting in the seat right next to me on the bus. I took the window seat, there were three seats to a row, but rather than sitting one over, she sits in the middle seat so she's right next to me. She talks to me on the bus journey home and to be polite I chat back. She tells me the guy that punched her was called Jordan and it was because he claimed that he had a one night stand and she denied it. She told me that she had had four celebrity boyfriends, Will Smith, Ryan Reynolds, Cameron Dallas and said that she was currently dating Dylan O'Brien. I found this hard to believe as she wasn't really very good looking. She was short, incredibly fat, coated herself in makeup so she looked like an Oompa Loompa and her hair was really greasy. The entire way home she wanted to talk about herself. I immediately discovered that she was an incredibly depressing person. If I tried to change the subject into something about me, she would immediately switch it back to a subject which would draw attention or sympathy to herself. She wouldn't let me talk to any of my friends either. She would immediately interrupt and talk over them. After about half an hour in the bus with her, I started to feel suffocated. 
After getting off the bus, she stayed on as she said hers was the next stop. As I walked off, my friend Kyle approached me. He told me that he had been out with her around a year ago and told me to avoid her. He said that she was crazy and after they broke up, him and his friends nicknamed her Crazy Maisie. I was soon to find out why. She added me on Facebook that night and I accepted out of politeness. She actually seemed okay on Facebook. She wasn't as self-obsessed and seemed to be interested in knowing more about me. I told her some stuff about myself. I told her about my relationship, the things that had been going on, and she kept telling me that I deserved someone better and that I should end things with Katie. About two days later of awkward conversations with her about Katie on the bus, I started to find her very intruding. She seemed to want to know every little detail about mine and Katie's relationship. I didn't want to expose too much, as it was private stuff between me and Katie and it was nobody else's business. I explained this to her, but... This just seemed to irritate her. She asked me to give her Katie's number and I refused. She then began to tell me that I was wasting my time with Katie and that I should just give up and find someone who cares. That night, she sent me a message on Facebook telling me that she had fallen in love with me and that she had been dreaming about us being together and had decided that we were meant to be. She said that she knows that I love her too as she can sense love in people. I told her that I didn't and I just saw her as a friend. She told me she knew that I was lying. I told her that I wasn't lying and that I love Katie. She said that I needed to get away from Katie and then that I would see that my heart lies with her. I had no feelings for Maisie whatsoever but she kept insisting that I did, just telling me that I needed more time to realize it and that she could sense that we were meant to be together. This is when she decided that she wanted me. She messaged Katie on Facebook and copied and pasted my first conversation with her about Katie. She then told Katie that I had said that I was planning on leaving her because I wanted to be with Maisie. This caused a very big argument on phone between me and Katie and we actually broke up. I was really upset about this and I had very strong feelings for Katie. Maisie could obviously tell I was upset. She approached me and immediately hugged me. She told me that she would always be there for me and that now that I wasn't with Katie I could finally be with her. I pushed her away and told her to never speak to me again. This is where things get creepy. Throughout October and November, she was harassing me with messages, just saying things like, Hey, hi, you there? Where are you? Why won't you speak with me? Hello? Which I completely ignored. Then she started putting things like, I've had such a bad day, please reply. I need someone right now. I knew she was playing the sympathy card and continued to ignore her. By December, she started sitting opposite me on the bus. She would often just stare at me. My friend Laura would often tell me that Maisie was staring at me and I would just avoid eye contact with her. It made my bus journeys very unnerving. A few days later in early January, I fell asleep on the bus. After we were getting off the bus, my friend Carl told me that Maisie had been taking pictures of me while I was asleep. That ended up being one of the few times I messaged her. She admitted that she had taken pictures of me and I asked her to send me them. There were around 15 to 20 pictures of just me sleeping. I asked why she had taken them and said that I look cute when I sleep. She was attempting to make jokes about the situation despite the fact that I was incredibly cross. I told her to delete the pictures and she told me she would. On the second week of January, I ended up going on holiday vacation for about a week. Now, I'm not trying to sound arrogant or brag, but I feel that I'm relatively a good-looking guy and I knew that there were three girls, Ellie, Mel, and Natalie, and they all had a crush on me in college. 
However, none of them had ever really approached me, and I wasn't really into any of them directly. While I was away, Laura phoned me after she got home to tell me of a scenario that had played out on the bus. Natalie admitted to the few other girls on the bus that she had a crush on me and that she was planning on asking me out when I got back off my holiday. Apparently, Maisie jumped up and grabbed Natalie by the throat and screamed, Back off, he's mine. She then announced publicly on the bus that me and her were dating, but we were keeping it a secret until things went a bit further. I got back and found out that almost the whole college thought that me and Maisie were dating. My two friends, Taylor and Beth, told me that they thought I hated Maisie. I got so fed up of this rumor that I told her to tell everyone it wasn't true. She refused and said that she told people so that nobody else would try and take me from her. She said that we were destined to be together and that it's important that she doesn't lose me to someone else. So irritated by this, I decided to post a public status on Facebook, which I tagged her in, a status which I'll tell you now. Just to inform everyone, me and Maisie are not dating. We never were, we never will. She has asked me out on multiple occasions and each time I have rejected her. I advise that anything she says about me you ignore as she is a compulsive liar. Thank you. Now, I'm not the kind of person that embarrasses people publicly for the attention, but I felt that this was essential into putting her off me. It didn't. Despite being tagged in it, she seemed to ignore the status. She would still sit opposite me and stare at me, except this time with a look of hatred on her face. I would often get Carl or Laura to sit on the end seat so that they were between us and so that she would stop staring at me. Now one of the other girls that had a thing for me, Melanie, was not very attractive at all. She was overweight to the point of obesity and she got this horrible looking ginger hair and lots of spots. But despite her appearance, she is an incredibly nice person and quite possibly my best friend in college. Now I am very protective of my friends. One day, Mel was sat two seats over from me on the bus and she confided in me that she liked me. I saw Maisie's face immediately turn into a look of complete malice as she looked at Mel. I told Mel that I liked her as a friend but just didn't see her as anything more. Maisie then jumped up and blurted out, Of course he wouldn't go out with an ugly, fat, ginger, pubed mess like yourself. Look in the mirror and then look at who you're trying to get with. He is ten times out of your league and you could never be good enough for someone like him. I then stood up incredibly frustrated and said something along the lines of how dare you speak to my friend like that. You can criticize her for her looks all you want but at the end of the day it's the inner beauty that counts. You could be the best looking girl in the world but also be a horrible person. I would still choose her over you any day and do you know why? Because she's a better person than you will ever be. Maisie just stared at me all the way home, didn't say a word, just stared with these angry eyes. She got off the bus and followed me home. I was walking with Laura. I was incredibly creeped out as Maisie wasn't supposed to get off at this stop. She was walking behind by about 15 to 20 meters, not even trying to be stealthy. We arrived at Laura's house, which is about 5 minutes from my house, and Laura agreed to let me come in with her until Maisie was gone. Her boyfriend Kalem was there who I'm pretty good friends with and we pretty much just sat and played cod zombies for about three hours before I left to go home for dinner. After three hours I assumed it would be safe. I was wrong. The second I got around the corner to go to my house I saw Maisie emerge from a nearby side street and start walking behind me. I picked up the pace and got to my house as quickly as possible. I had dinner and chilled out for a little while. Twenty to thirty minutes had passed. 
I was attempting to play League of Legends, but the light from my window was shining on my crappy old glass monitor. I got up to close the curtains, and as I looked out the window, she was still there, sat across the road as if though she was waiting for me. I'm not sure how long she stayed, but I remember checking a short while later, and she was gone. Later that night, I got a phone call from Laura. Apparently, Maisie had messaged Caleb and told him that Laura had been cheating on him with me, and that she had seen me going into her house earlier that day, and she said that she heard sexual noises from the bedroom window. Caitlin just laughed and told her that he has been at Laura's house since she got home from college. I came around and played Call of Duty with them and nothing else. A few days later, she posted a status on Facebook saying, Person I want to marry, Jay. Person who wants to stop me, Sarah. My ex, who I am on incredibly bad terms with. This caused an incredibly big argument on Facebook between me and my ex as Maisie had told both of us that the other one had told her to post it as we wanted to be reunited, apparently. After we both discovered that Maisie had done this to cause trouble, she deleted the status and claimed that she never posted anything like that. In April, she got a new boyfriend called Ben, and I ended up getting a new girlfriend just a few days before, called Sophie. When I had first got with Sophie, Maisie had told me that it was unfair. She told me that she had just broken up with Dylan O'Brien, the guy from Maze Runner, to be with me, and that because of all of that she had done for me, I owed her, and that I could pay her back by just trying in a relationship with her. She told me that it didn't have to last, just to try a few months. I refused, then a few days later she got with Ben. She was with Ben for around two weeks before they broke up, and she told me that she had cheated on him with me. Ben approached me and I had to explain to him that nothing had happened. Maisie was just a lunatic. I eventually found out that Maisie had only dated Ben because he was a former friend of Sophie's and she had used him to get a hold of Sophie's phone number. First she began texting me saying that Sophie had a reputation for sleeping around and that I should stay away from her. I had blocked Maisie at this point on Facebook, but my friend Jamie had told me that Maisie was posting statuses about me and Sophie with both of our names in it. One of these was, I can't believe Jay would choose Sophie a girl who will give him an STD over me, a girl who will give him the world. She eventually began messaging Sophie, telling her that I had been cheating on her, Sophie, with her, Maisie, and that she felt bad for Sophie and finally wanted to come clean. I had already warned Sophie about Maisie at the time, so Sophie simply ignored her. She began messaging Sophie, calling her terrible names and telling her that she knew about her reputation. What makes this silly is that Sophie had only ever had one boyfriend before me and they broke up due to him physically assaulting her and being incredibly controlling. That incident had seriously put her off in relationships and she is still a virgin. Therefore, we know that Maisie is only trying to cause trouble. Last month, she began messaging Sophie, telling her that she was going to slit her throat and burn her house down. She mentioned what car Sophie drives as well as the number plate and began telling Sophie that she was going to ram her off the road into a ditch. We took these messages to the police and I explained the issues I was having with Maisie and we were able to file a restraining order against her. The court case came by within a few days which was good as there was no long waiting process. It was also very brief. She had been expelled from the college due to my reports on her and for over a month I had heard no word from her. A day after the court case with the restraining order, I got home from a day out with Sophie to find that my car had been severely dented on the back. Our house's kitchen windows were smashed from the outside. The inside of the house had been ransacked, 
The shed door had been kicked off the hinges, and our cat appears to have taken a blunt force attack and have several broken ribs. A single note was left in the middle of the floor in the kitchen. It had been typed out on a computer and printed off so there was no way to trace the handwriting, but it just said, I always get what I want. The police were unable to convict Maisie as Maisie is denying the incident and she has an alibi to confirm her whereabouts at the time of the break-in, but I still believe she is responsible. She often told me that she had an uncle who was on the run from the law who she could get to do stuff and he would always get away with it, so I'm under the impression that he may have had something to do with it. And that's it. Not quite as creepy as what I've been told before, but it still freaks me out to this day. Well, it was less than a month ago, so... And I'm constantly worrying that whatever it was that caused all the damage after the restraining order will come back, or even worse, go after Sophie. I'm still very unnerved at night, and the slightest noise makes me jump. I keep an old revolver in my bedside cabinet, just in case. I live with my parents and I don't like being a burden, so while still in uni I decided to leave ads around the city offering help with kids' homework and private lessons. Finally someone called me. At that point nobody had called and I was desperate for some cash, and I started giving English lessons to a woman, N. She claimed she needed to improve her speaking, but turned out that she had to start from the basics. We saw each other weekly and more frequently after I graduated, always in the late evening from 7 to 9. That day was just like any other. We were sitting in her kitchen, she listening to an audiobook and reading, and I watching out of the window bored out of my mind. Our apartment is on the first floor of a small complex, four units in total, with another complex on the left and a house under construction on the right. All the houses face a field where I usually park, and across the field there's a busy street. It's not strange seeing people pass in front of the windows since you have to go past it to get to the stairs of the complex so I was used to seeing shadows in the windows all the time. I even recognized the voices and shadows of other tenants. We were busy reading and translating. Only 15 minutes had passed and it was going to be a long night when someone knocked on the window. I'm extremely anxious, so I was startled. And also, I've lived my whole life on a fourth floor, so the idea of a ground floor apartment is always unsettling for me. The higher, the better. Something was wrong, but I thought because of my odd upside-down fear of height. My beloved student stood up and went to the window to see what's up. Across the bars of the window stood this man, thin and kind of dirty. He said that he saw a bike parked behind and wanted to know if she was selling it. She said she was going to bring it to the junkyard since it was old and rusty and that he was free to take it for free. He insisted to give her $10 and she refused. He upped the offer to $20. A tip for the nice girl's lesson, he said as he stared at me. Anne refused again, told him to take the bike and go away, and she closed the window. I was pretty creeped out, but we went back to work. A few minutes later, there came another knock. Now Anne was angry, and kindly opened the window to tell the guy to screw off, but they were her upstairs neighbors. They told her that some guy was walking down the street and that he had her bike. She explained her to the situation, and they left. Nothing happened for the next hour. We finished our lesson and I was sent on my way with my money. I was walking the few meters in my car, digging in my purse for the lighter and a cig. As I lighted up, a man walked out from the house under construction and started to chat. 
He asked for a cig, but I told him not since I was running out. I'd really like a cigarette, please, he said. He wasn't demanding, he was kind of pleading, so I gave him one. I wasn't in the mood to chat, so I leaned in the car while smoking, holding the keys in my hand and the jackets poked if he decided to do something stupid. I still had to replace the pepper spray. He was silent while we smoked and every so often glanced down the road. I was almost finished when he told me something that creeps me out to this day. Sorry if I was pushy about the cigarette, but I saw a man hiding near your passenger side and I didn't want to freak you out or call him out. There's something strange in him and the last thing I wanted was to make him lash out. He went away when I talked to you. In that moment, I realized that the only way for him to know about her bike was to have gone around the house in the back garden, and he didn't know about the lesson. How long had he been near the window behind knocking? He waited for me for more than an hour. I didn't want to leave so soon after he left, so I lit another cigarette, all the while thanking the nice construction worker and offering him the meager remains of the packet. Turns out he didn't even smoke, but... He thought it was the only way to approach me without creeping me out or being beaten with my book's loaded purse. He then drove behind me till we got to a turnaround. I checked nobody was following. I was paranoid, blamed me, and got home. Reported to the police the following day. I doubt anything would have happened. My car is old as balls and only had a manual lock so by the time he would have opened the door, I had all the time to get myself out of there and cry bloody murder. But anyway... It was an ode of many of my creepy encounters. This happened about two years ago when I was attending community college. It was towards the beginning of the semester and I failed an assignment in my geography class because I totally messed up the latitude and longitude of a few locations. My professor told me that I could make up the points if I went to tutoring and had the geographer tutor teach me how to do it. That day, my three-hour political science class got cancelled, and at this time, I didn't have a car so I couldn't just go home and my ride wasn't going to come until the time the class normally ended, so I decided I would get it over with. I went to make an appointment, but the tutor didn't get in for another two hours. No big deal. I made the appointment and figured I'd go wait in the library. The library has two couches, very coveted territory, and I saw that one was open, so I quickened my pace to try and plot myself down before anyone else notices it that it was free. I'm a few feet away from the couch when I see a guy walking toward it, too. I hesitate for a moment, too polite to just throw my stuff on it, and ask if he was planning to sit there. He shakes his head, so I smile and set my stuff down. As I'm rifling through my backpack looking for a book, I can see him looking at me out of the corner of my eye. He started toward me, looking like he was going to try and talk to me, but then decided against it and walked away. So I spent two hours in the library reading and listening to music, and I see that my appointment time is coming up. I pack up my stuff and get going. I walk out of the library and toward the learning center. My headphones are still in, and I'm listening to my favorite song, so I've kind of got a bounce in my step. I notice that my shoe is untied, so I get down on one knee to tie it. As I'm tying my shoe, I realize that someone has come up to me because I'm suddenly in their shadow. I look up and guess who it is. Yeah, same guy from the library. I'm immediately creeped out. Did he wait around for me to leave? I finish tying my shoe and stand up and he says hi and asks for my name. I tell him and he tells me his and we shook hands. I don't know. 
He asked what I'm doing, and I say I'm going to tutoring, so I start walking, and he started walking with me. My headphones are still in this whole time. I don't want to sound like a snot, but I'm kind of cute, and on a college campus, guys trying to talk to me isn't completely out of the ordinary. I figured if I was rude as possible, headphones in, zero eye contact, not even turning my head to answer, he'd get the hint. But nah, didn't happen this time. He starts asking me what I'm getting tutoring for and all kinds of small talk and I give him short, one-worded answers. I keep waiting for him to get frustrated and leave, but he follows me all the way to the learning center. I tell him I have to go and he stops me to ask me for my phone number. I tell him no, I have a boyfriend, and he asks what his name is. I tell him and he starts laughing, saying what a stupid name it was. This creep's name was Humberto, so I don't know where he gets off making fun of anyone's name. He persists with getting my number and finally I just walk away and into the learning center. After my appointment, I was really nervous that he'd still be out there waiting for me to come out, but thankfully he wasn't. I went home and forgot all about it. But that wasn't really the creepy part. This was. A month or two later, I'm in the writing center waiting for my tutor to be free to help me out with a big research paper. I'm sitting in the waiting area playing on my phone when I decide to look up. On a flyer on the wall was this guy's picture. I read on and I get the biggest knot in my stomach. It was a flyer warning everyone that Umberto had been expelled from the school I attended because he'd have followed a girl into the bathroom and basically asked her to do terrible things with him. Thankfully, another girl saw him go in the ladies' room and walked in to see what was going on, causing the creep to take off. He was arrested later and it came forth that he had a history of following girls around on campus. Luckily, no one was harmed, but I definitely carry pepper spray from now on. My roommate and I moved into our dorm a few weeks ago. It's an apartment-type dorm whose door opens right outside onto the sidewalk. There are two floor-to-ceiling windows, one on either side of the door. These are covered by curtains but there are gaps in the sides where one can peep in from outside if standing at the correct distance. Now, my roommate moved in before me. While I'm an older college student who has learned to be cautious with who I allow in, my roommate is a freshman and has not. She allowed this kid, Jake, in and they talked a bit. He came back the next night and was there when I showed up. I thought it was kind of creepy, but I let it slide, but Jake just kept showing up uninvited. When my roommate accidentally left the door unlocked, Jake opened it and walked right in. My roommate was starting to get nervous because Jake wouldn't stop showing up and being creepy and complained to me. I didn't quite believe her until tonight. I was cleaning up my desk before bed when I turned enough to see through the gap in the curtain, and there was Jake, standing stock still a few feet down the sidewalk and staring right through the gap into the room. Our eyes met and my heart stopped. As my roommate dove under her covers, I opened the door just to crack and asked him what he was doing. I was just walking around. No, he wasn't. He'd been standing there staring in. I turned the light off, locked and deadbolted the door, grabbed my phone and pepper spray and climbed into bed. A few minutes later, it sounded like someone was rattling on our door. It's quiet now and I don't think anything else will happen tonight, but what do you think we should do? Are we overreacting? Please speak your mind because I need advice.
Right now, I'm a junior in college. This story took place the spring semester of my freshman year. My friend Jane and I decided to do spring rush at our college. For those of you that aren't familiar with the Greek system, my college had traditional fall rushing for sororities. You go through the application process, do certain things for different sororities, etc. Then they had spring rush for the girls that didn't get in during the fall or if they changed their minds throughout the year. Jane was my roommate and she kind of dragged me into it. It was a, if I have to suffer, then so do you type of thing. I went along with it, having never even thought about being in a sorority before. The process went smoothly, and uh, we got to the second to the last phase before big day. The day you find out if you got into the sorority. One of the missions that the sorority sisters had us do was to house-sit for them, while they went out and got completely smashed on a Friday night. No big deal. I had Jane to keep me company. We were given a strict list of who was and wasn't allowed in the house. All Jane and I did was order our weight in pizza, watch One Tree Hill, and just a little bit of homework. It wasn't until about 1am did things start. Someone rang the doorbell. I answered. It was a guy, older, maybe 25. He looked past college age. He asked if it was a certain address. I told him no, then asked if he needed to speak to someone. He said no, he thanked me, then walked away. I really didn't think anything of it. It's college. Friday, Saturday morning rather, night, and people drink. Things happen. One of the sorority girls calls and says they'll be back to the house in about an hour, so around 2 to 2.30 a.m. That's great. Then the doorbell rings again. Jane and I both answer it at the same time. It's the same guy. He looks at Jane, seemingly shocked to see her. Let me just describe his face to you, now that I'm thinking about it. It was wrinkled. He had deep lines for such a young guy, hazel eyes, they were speckled with dark colors, black hair, a bit of stubble, plainly attractive but no catch, very tall, lean, an average Joe. Again, he asked me if it was a certain address. Jane straight up tells him to, in a quote, sucker D, then closes the door in his face. We laughed about the poor drunken frat guy that didn't remember where he lived, and that's all we thought it was. Before we could get back into the living room, the guy starts pounding on the door, screaming for Kayla. He said her name over and over again. I didn't even have time to be scared because the window that was right next to the front door shattered. The guy crawled inside, fell to the floor having lost his balance, and looked right at me. My name isn't Kayla, but he was looking at me like it was. Jane flipped her lid and ran upstairs. How classic, right? And I just stood there baffled at what happened. I was paralyzed. The man kept asking for Kayla, got up and looked at me like he was about to charge, like I was a piece of meat and he was a starving man. I just shook my head. I heard Jane on the phone somewhere upstairs, then she called my name and came running downstairs. That's when he did something so, so unexpected. As Jane ran down the stairs, the man actually floored it to meet her. He started growling and screaming and howling. I can't explain it. He sounded deranged. Jane was so startled that she fell coming down the stairs, sprained her ankle, and just laid there, screaming. The guy laughed, walked past me, then just casually climbed back out the window. Campus police showed up about five minutes later, then the sisters did. Turns out that Kayla was a sister that was kicked out a few weeks prior. She had a boyfriend, who was abusive, addicted to meth, all of the above, that broke into their house before, and they failed to mention that small little detail. 
He was arrested later that night, sobered up, and released the next day. The next day was actually bid day. Jane and I got bids, but I declined, and Jane accepted. We're still friends, and it always makes for a good story to tell the incoming freshman girls who plan on rushing. This takes place last semester at my university. Naturally, being broke and a student, what do I do on the weekends? Drink and go to a house party, of course. This particular night, my roommates and I all go to this apartment party. The apartment itself is pretty nice. There is a long island in the kitchen area where people are playing beer pong. A lot of people congregate in the living room area, talking, dancing, doing other party things, and some in a long hallway leading to the bathroom. And like most college parties, it was dimly lit. Only the lights in the hallway and ones over the island were on. We get there, pretty drunk, and we're having a great time. We played beer pong, caught up with some old friends we hadn't seen in the semester, etc. There were a lot of people I didn't know, but people were friendly for the most part. Still, even in my drunk state, I recognized one kid every time I looked that just seemed out of place. He was wearing a hoodie a bit too big for him, a beanie and baggy pants. Just from his physical appearance alone, he seemed to be out of sorts, as everyone else was done up, looked relatively clean and put together. His hair was poking out from underneath his beanie. All in all, he looked greasy is what I'm trying to get across here. Normally, I wouldn't have noticed that kid because as a drunk, straight college male, other dudes are the least of my concerns. But this kid just stood out every time I saw him. He wasn't really dancing, playing beer pong, or talking to people. He just kind of lingered behind this one girl. Admittedly, she was very good looking. She was in a circle of friends, so I figured, if you want to try that, best of luck to you, weird greasy kid. The next time I look over, they're talking. Well, crap. That kid wasn't weird. I'm just a judgmental a-hole. She isn't all over him, but from what I can tell, things are going pretty well. Good for you, kid. I think to myself as my roommate and I lose another game of beer pong. Finally, it's around 2am. Party is still going on, but we're about at half capacity now. I can actually navigate the apartment and pretty much see everyone. At this point, me and my roommate were both keeping an eye out for that kid to see if he was going to be successful in his attempt to woo that young woman. As I searched through the party, I noticed him and the girl on the balcony. I can only see her right shoulder as she's leaned up against the wall next to the door. He's leaning on his left arm against the door, still talking about something. At this point, me and my drunk roommate casually approached to get a better angle on the scene. This is when I felt uneasy. She was avoiding eye contact with him, constantly looking down at the ground and off into the distance. From what I could tell, she wasn't exactly an active participant in whatever they were talking about. Then, he goes in for the kiss, and she turns her cheek towards the apartment. Instead of taking the kind hint, he's now kissing on her neck. She finally reaches for the door, ducks under his arm, and tries to leave. As she's trying to walk back in, he grabs one of her arms and he's trying to pull her back out. She's trying to play it off, laughing under her breath as she tells him to let him go. He's not laughing. He's just glaring at her, trying to pull her back outside. She turns away from him, scanning the room for her friends, I would assume. Then, she and I make eye contact. I didn't know her, but I'm a relatively friendly and social person, so I gave her a confused look, trying to ask what is going on without saying it out loud. She just stared back at me, and she actually looked pretty scared. Okay, 
So this is actually applicable in real life, so if you take anything away from this, just remember this part. I extended my hand towards her, and she grabbed it with her free hand. I pulled her towards me, bringing her in close and wrapping my other arm around her shoulder. Once he realized what was happening, he just sort of let go. I locked eyes with him, and eventually he relented and walked out. Afterwards, I asked her what was going on, but she had a hard time putting her thoughts together. She wasn't crying or anything, but her voice was shaky and she was clearly rattled. From her rambling, I gathered this. While at first, he was very sweet and friendly, once they were alone, he totally changed. Once they were outside alone, he asked her really sexual questions, like, Are you a virgin? How many guys have you been with? What's the biggest D you've had? When she first tried to leave, he told her she didn't need to find her friends as she was going home with him in a demanding tone. Then she actually tried to step out. He held onto her wrist with a death grip. I can confirm this as she showed me the red marks left on her wrist from how hard he was grabbing her. Once she settled down a bit, I helped her find her friends, and she even gave me her number before we went our separate ways. So, weird greasy kid... Thanks so much for setting me up with my now girlfriend. Hey friends, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and click that notification bell to be alerted of all future narrations. If you got a story, be sure to submit them to my subreddit, our Let's Read Official and give and receive feedback from the community, and maybe even hear it featured here on the channel and grab early access to all future narrations for just $1 a month on Patreon, and maybe even pick up some Let's Read merch on Spreadshirt. Links in the bio. Thanks so much, friends, and I'll see you again soon. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.